This is available for Maricopa County coach at only for new pro tens, and you really do need to follow along with the materials which you can find in Hightail. Join Slido.com and use that number or use the QR code. This is an interactive presentation. The um, everyone will will participate by answering questions. You do it anonymously on your phone, but hopefully we will get some actual participation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, evictions are a very narrow area of law. You can read the Landlord-Tenant Act pretty quickly. You can read the rules a couple pages. But it becomes complex sometimes. It has so many nuances. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these things, sometimes there's not a right or wrong answer. Uh, I would, most times, I guess, there, but I think it's, it's to be expected that at the beginning it's going to be hard to do, so just don't be embarrassed. Let's go through it. A lot of these scenarios that are on here, things that we have done, things that we ruled incorrectly on, um, so, you know. Um, okay, we've only I, got two people in. Point your camera at the barcode. Uh, it'll be in closed in, in yellow boxes, then click on Slido. Most of them are just questions, but it does this word word cloud, and I've never done a word cloud, and I just thought it would be a good icebreaker. It's tall. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Astrophysicist, wow. <laughs> What did you want to be, Lenore? A teacher. <laughs> did you always want to be an attorney, Gerald? No. No, he's, <laughs> like, he's a military official. Actually, I didn't type. I, I didn't type in military official, but yeah. The. Uh, no, I, I wanted to be a research scientist, and then I discovered I really stink at math, <laughs> so I had to go into a discipline that didn't have math, so I chose law. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do child support worksheets. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to be a diplomat. Cool. All right, so we'll just jump into the first scenario. So the la this was you, Gerald, right? Yeah. So uh, the landlord gives a five-day notice for $1,000 past due rent. On the fifth day, the tenant deposits $500 in the landlord's bank account. Unaware, the landlord proceeds with the eviction action on the, the sixth day. Uh, by the time the parties are in court, the landlord has not returned the money. Um, is this a valid partial payment? Um, I don't know how, how much, how familiar you are with the uh, 33-1371 prohibits the acceptance of a partial payment, um, usually unless there's a signed agreement. Um, by the landlord, saying the landlord can proceed. So everyone says yes, it's so a valid one, two, payment. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One person didn't vote, but okay, we can move yeah. on. <coughs> oh, I guess we can go. So the what would I get? I sorry, I jumped to the next. That's okay. Did you want to tell them what the correct answer would be there? Well, or? I you, you if if you, if it's it's counterintuitive because it, it sounds like we're trying to make the, 
the people not work with landlords and tenants not work together. But if the landlord accepts a partial payment, then you have to dismiss the case. The exception is if the if the landlord and the tenant have have signed what's called a a, a partial payment non waiver agreement, where if the tenant doesn't make the promised payments in the future, then the landlord can proceed with the residential eviction action. Um, uh, in this case, I think it's a valid partial payment because the, the landlord had a, had a duty to check their bank account. Now, if they, the tenant had done it, you know, the night before court and the, the landlord doesn't know about it, hasn't had an opportunity to, to send it back, that's a different fact pattern. But if the landlord just, it's almost like an estoppel argument. If, you, if the landlord's just like, well, I never checked my bank account, I don't know. Um, I, I think landlords that give tenants their bank accounts set themselves up for this every single time um, because the, the tenant can always make a partial payment and say, well, I'm, look, I made a partial payment. This is the typ <laughs> typical scenario, typical. Yeah. Now okay. that they use Zelle, even worse, because apparently Zelle does not allow, doesn't allow you to reject a payment. Oh. I think like Venmo, <laughs> in Venmo you don't have to accept it. You don't have to transfer it. And so I guess you could always send back a message saying, I'm not going to accept it or send it back, but Zelle doesn't allow that. And so we hear this all the time that they're depositing things in Zelle. And I just say, that's what you set yourself up for when you allow <laughs> them to do direct deposits to your bank. Speak louder. He says, speak louder, he's saying. Okay, <laughs> okay so, so that's what I tell them. And sometimes they're upset, but just how it is. I said, you know, you, you just can't open this up if you're not giving. And then one attorney did say, well, then we're going to have people sending $1 payments the night before all the time. I was like, well, that's well, what you have to look at when you're allowing. Sit next to Gerald. Slide down, sit next to Gerald. I mean, I think that the $1 payment might be another argument that, yeah, I, that I, it's not, that it's not, you know, done in good faith. And so maybe you don't accept the one or the $10. Uh, if, if the, my thing is, if the landlord's had an opportunity to reject the payment and has not, then I'm going to I'm going to treat that as a partial payment. So, uh, along those same lines, that we're thinking Zelle and you can't reject it, and you don't actually need their bank account; you only need their phone number or email. So, in those situations where you can't reject it, is then the course to be you have to return it immediately so, in order for it to not be a partial payment? So, I think the problem with Zelle is that. Um, you know, the, the lease should have an indication of how payments are to be made. Mm -hmm. So if the lease says that the payments are to be made by money order at the, you know, wherever, um, and then the person is using Zelle because they somehow found out that information on their own, mm -hmm. that's a different story maybe. As the people who have Zelle, it's because the landlord has let them pay their rent through Zelle. Gotcha. And so then when they send the five-day notice, they have no way to stop them from doing it. But again, it's like we were saying, if you set yourself up. Here's another scenario is um, they'll say, oh, we already sent an email. Like if, if, the, if they're represented by an attorney and the management's not there and the, the defendant says, oh, I paid last night through Zelle, well, then they'll say, can we reset this so we can check with our client, right? Or they'll say, put this to the bottom of the pile. I'm going to call our client and see if they've accepted it. But I think sometimes they'll do a little workaround and they'll be like, hey, you have to reject that. And they might set it for another hearing. And then by the time that next hearing, which is in just two days, generally two or three days, 
um, they'll say, no, we already returned it with a money order or, you know, so they'll try to, to do that. The attorneys will advise their client, like, don't accept this money, you need to reject it right away. Um, so then you'll have to determine how you feel about by the time it came back. We had, I had, we, I had a case once where the person deposited it into the, 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 the landlord's bank account and the landlord sent a check back rejecting the payment. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that the original check that the tenant deposited bounced. Oh, no. <laughs> so they got money. And so now the landlord was out the rent and the payment that they sent back. Right. So it's risky for the landlord to find themselves in these situations also. We can so, make more chairs. Yeah. So this, I guess, we already gave away the answer to this one, but you yeah. want to go to the next question. So this is the same the same partial payment. Well, no, this is this is one continued, yeah. Right. Yeah. So then when they they had this five hundred dollar payment that was made to the bank account, but the landlord's arguing the lease says the money can only be paid by money order. And so the tenant indicates that he's been depositing rent for the last six months in that account that the landlord gave him the number. So does this change your ruling? Is it still a valid partial payment? For those who just arrived. If you want to uh, scan that QR code, you'll get into the program that allows you to vote. <laughs> so in that scenario, is the landlord required to return the money before filing the eviction action? Or like if they were to show up to court with a check for the tenant, <clears throat> I mean, is that the same? If they're still trying to return the, the, the payment? I Personally, I feel like if they have the check in court, yeah. then that's returning it. Because we accept rent in court. <laughs> that That's so true. So it's treating them both the same. But to me, the issue is when, how long have you been holding on to that check before you're rejecting it? Right? If the landlord had the check for a whole week and then brought it to court, is that a real rejection? Did they accept or not accept that check? A lot of these things you'll find that most of the answers to all this are you need to hold a trial and find out more information what the underlying facts are. So I agree that if they bring it back, they're rejecting it. But, you know, did they let the tenant know they were rejecting it? Did they immediately send an email saying, I'm not going to take this? Yeah. Or, or did the person who used to work in the property management office who no longer works there now, you know, accept the check and not tell anybody <laughs> about it for four days? You know, a, a, a lot of these are really fact-specific. Right. Um. It's complicated. <laughs> Some are very complicated. This is, this is what we meant with how everything is very nuanced on all these little. All right, scenario two. So this is kind of like what we just brought up. So tenant appears in court for non-payment of rent complaints. He indicates he has made several partial payments for the last three weeks since he got the notice. He went to the office the day before court to make another payment, and the landlord returned all of the money orders. Whoops. All right. What are the considerations in this situation? Okay, so the considerations. Um, I don't no know. No one typed anything. <laughs> so you're typing your own words, I guess, what you're going to consider. 
There's a few of them that, that just have typing because I just thought it would break it up a little. Yeah, that, that's why the scenario came up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, it was... Sometimes, here's the thing. The one thing to consider is if some of these tenants don't pay it in those small payments as they have it, then they're going to spend it. And so they'll be like, I tried to pay, and I've heard this, I tried to pay it, but it wasn't in full, so they didn't accept it, and now I just don't have that money because I used it on something else. And so I don't know if, if one consideration well, is, is we're holding this for you. You have to find out why did you hold these money orders every week knowing it was a partial payment and then say they went the night before court and they still didn't have the full payment. So they're like, here's all of them back because it needs to be in full. And they might be holding it saying, I'll hold these for you so that you don't spend them. I don't know. Well, there you go. She would take it. I, to me, those were partial payments that were accepted because they took so long to return them. And here Judge Driggs would have decided the opposite. So there well, you I go, guys. I, I would have considered that, but, you know, you just, in, in the moment, you know what to, to do. Right here, it's hypothetical, but you're not in front of the people. So, but you know, that, that's one thing I'm thinking is sometimes people spend their money if they don't accept it. So if, if they're doing it as a- I mean, To me, I thought it was a gamemanship. Or something. I thought it was gamesmanship on part of the landlord because they wanted to take the money, but they knew that there was a risk by taking it. Right. So they kind of hedged their bets. If they pay all of it, then I have it. If they don't pay all of it, I'll return it. And you can't play that game. Either you accept the partial payment or you don't. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. Now, that happens a lot. The, the, the self-represented landlords, when the tenant comes up with a decent amount of money, you know, they'll give them a check for $1,000. Those self-represented, they don't want to reject that money. And they'll take it. And they're always, they don't realize then that they can't proceed. Because when it's a, you know, they don't want to say no. The, the commercial, the, 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 the business landlords, they don't care as much. They'll reject a $1,000 payment. It's not a, it's not, you know, they have hundreds of tenants, so it doesn't make a difference to them. So, yeah, these are all things to consider. All right, this is an immediate. Remember the immediate evictions? Um, so the landlord gives an immediate eviction based on a guest of the tenant having assaulted a neighbor in the swimming pool complex. There's, we have several variants of this scenario. So the tenant doesn't appear in court and the landlord attorney hands you a default judgment indicating you should sign it because the tenant did not answer the complaint. Uh, ARS 33-1377E talks about there being a hearing on immediate evictions. So can you sign the judgment as a default since the tenant did not appear? <coughs> it's peer pressure on this one. <laughs> well, so the issue with the immediates is that these are people, they are, don't forget that evictions, 
uh, because they're summary in nature, they do not require personal service. So these can be posted and mailed. The tenant might be out away for the weekend on the day that they came to post it and mail it and never even found out there was a court hearing. Um, and you're evicting someone and telling them you need to go out tomorrow because someone said that you committed a crime or someone, um, which is why the statute does require a hearing. That doesn't mean the tenant has to be present at the hearing. It just means that the judge needs to receive testimony or some information that that act did occur. So I would suggest, I think the answer here is no. You cannot, uh, you cannot proceed based on a default. There's, there's a default obviously on the non-payment of rent, but not on the, not on the immediate. All you need, though, is, is testimony from, like, the maintenance man who saw the assault. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's not, I mean, you don't have to have a litigated hearing. You just have to have something more than, well, they didn't show up. Right. It doesn't you, have to be a trial. No. Do, do you know where the tenant is? Yeah, he's in jail. Okay. He's right. not going to appear. Um, you know, he's still in jail for the assault. Um, so you you get testimony from somebody. Um, it. It shouldn't be just an avowal from the attorney, though. It, it should be an actual witness who, who saw something. And it needs to be a witness. <laughs> well, so here's the other question. Oh. The tenant doesn't appear, but you get a police report that was made after the assault. Can you sign the judgment based on the police report? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that those yeses were by our ex-prosecutors. <laughs> um, the police report is hearsay. This is still, we still, the rules of evidence still apply. Uh, would you accept that hearsay evidence? I mean, I don't accept it, but this is the one thing. First of all, let me say that the first time you're ever on the bench or the first couple of times, you're going to get the attorneys arguing stuff that they would never argue to us at this point. <laughs> because they're going to try, they're going to see, you know, like the three-year-old toddler who's always testing to see what they can get away with, they will do that to you. And this will definitely be one of them. Uh, they'll know, though, the police report, it's a, uh, yeah, and they'll tell you things like, you know, uh, we have a resource officer at the complex, and so they... It's a normal course of business, you know, and so they think that you should accept it because it's acceptable hearsay. I mean, you'll hear weird arguments. I don't accept police reports at all. Gerald, I you don't either? No, but that doesn't work in all contexts because right. they work in orders of protection. <laughs> but orders of protection don't have them with, you know, the, the hearsay is allowed and yeah. there's different rules there. It's true. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? For the record, I voted no. I, I, I'm sorry. I was. It was. It was I was just joking. I, um, and so then this one is the tenant appears, and now the property manager witnessed the assault and uh, with other witnesses. So they come to the hearing, and because the statute does provide for the hearing, how do you proceed? Oh, 
I'm sorry, we have to go back on this one. Um, so as, as was said before, the, it's just a hearing. It doesn't have to be a trial. So if the tenant's not there, you can just take their testimony. If the tenant is there, you should give them an opportunity to cross-examine the witnesses. Um, but it, unless the tenant necessarily denies it and you're going to set it for trial, it doesn't have to be a trial, just as long as you get the testimony. Under oath, you know, with all, with all the, the formality of the testimony. And in that scenario where all of them are there, you can just hold it right then and there, right? You don't have to set a hearing out. No, no, no. I mean, the, the, I think the presumption is that you do it on that day. On that day. Because, because you're having them immediately evicted because they're a danger. They shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to give them an extra week to stay. Gotcha. Which, which, on the other hand, works sometimes when they give you an immediate notice that was sent last month. And you're like, why did you wait a month to come evict them yeah. if they were so dangerous, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So those are always things that you need to consider also. Um, so then this is, you know, ARS 33, 1368 says, I don't know why that, um, there, that the tenant is for the actions of the tenant's guest. If the tenant could reasonably foresee the conduct and did not attempt to prevent the conduct. So let's say in this case, the tenant says that the person who committed the assault was a friend of her daughter's. And what would it mean to reasonably foresee that that would happen? Yeah. I mean, this is, they, it, the most common situations for immediates are acts committed by other people that aren't the tenant themselves. It's <clears throat> true. It is the most common thing. And then everybody's like, well, I didn't know. I couldn't know, I couldn't, so how, what makes the tenant uh, responsible in these situations? Because they allowed that <laughs> Is it sufficient for the defendant to say she didn't know the guest would do this, and why? Or is it sufficient just to say, you're, they're your guest, you're responsible for everything they did? You have prior knowledge that they had the the statute the statute says if you could reasonably foresee and that is the that's the standard in the statute you hate these just like I do no, <laughs> no, I had a really good one where it was a mom of two daughters and she was at work and the two daughters were at her in her apartment they don't live there but they were just there and because she helps with the grandchild or something. So one daughter was trying to help the other one get to work, but she was grouchy because she woke up late or something. She had some issues. And they got in a fight. And they got in a really bad fight, the two daughters, to where one pulled out her keys and started stabbing the other sister with it. <laughs> and so then the sister needed a Band-Aid, so she went to the leasing office to be like, I need some help. My sister attacked me. And then they filed an immediate on the mom because of the fight that they had. And, of course, the daughter's, like, so sorry, so upset that she's getting her mom evicted. And... She's like, we don't normally fight like this, and we don't. And my mom had no idea, whatever. I mean, I didn't, I didn't grant it. The mom didn't know. She, she was at work. She didn't know her daughters were gonna fight. They don't ever fight like that. But they just had this one incident in the morning, and I said, I don't think the mom could have reasonably foreseen that this was gonna happen with her daughters. Looked at the daughters like, and you guys are never gonna go over there and fight at your mom's <laughs> house again, are you? She was like, no. So. so 
I mean, I think there's some good answers here that, you know, did you know that the person had a history of violence? Did you know that the person had a history of being alcoholic? Um, if, did, did they know him well enough? But on the other hand, if you don't know someone well enough and they come in, I mean, we hear terrible things that happen, you know. Um, and the fact that you didn't know him well enough, does that get you off the hook necessarily? These are really difficult. And sometimes it's um, domestic violence acts, but the the victim won't file an order of protection. So then they get evicted because they're like, we told her or him that if they filed an order, then we would know that they don't want the right. person there, but they won't do it. So clearly they're allowing the violence to happen all the time. So kind of in, in keeping with some of your answers, if the guest had spent the afternoon drinking with a tenant, for example, maybe that was foreseeable, right? <laughs> Or he's a boyfriend, he comes every day. So you didn't expect it, but he's someone who's in your property all the time. So at that point, foreseeable, I think, is just the fact that it's someone who's so often your property that maybe you should be responsible for what that person does. Maybe. Um, that I had this case. Someone had come to pick up uh, one of the, the, the daughter of the tenant to take her to some some job interview or something, and had a fight with someone in the parking lot. And then they wanted the tenant evicted. And it was like, no, this is someone who came to help the daughter. He'd come once. No one knew him. It wasn't foreseeable. I did not allow that one. But all of these are scenarios that we see all the time. I tell you, the more difficult thing to do is to evict a tenant based on something that one of their guests did. Uh, but, you know, is it the mom who comes over every day? You know, sometimes the mom comes over and has a beef with the next door neighbor and they're constantly at it. At some point you keep bringing your mom, you know, you are maybe responsible for what she's doing. And so there's, obviously they're always fact specific. You need to get the testimony. You need to hear the information. All right. Who's crime free? That's you. That's me. Um, I brought a crime-free lease addendum we can, we can pass it around. Um, it's uh, an amendment to a contract uh, to the lease that says don't, commit, don't let anybody commit criminal activity, don't allow criminal activity. It, it's a, um, intended to be a, a strict liability <laughs> uh, type agreement to get around the reasonably foreseeable argument. Um, they're, they're often run in connection with uh, local police departments. So the City of Phoenix or City of Glendale or whatever will say, use our crime-free lease addendum because we want crime, you know, out of Glendale and into Peoria, you know, or, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, pass it, pass it next. But um, it, it's it it, uh, it it creates essentially a reliability standard you can. I, I, Which is one of the reasons they'll tell you that they have a signed a crime lease addendum. You should accept the police report. Yeah. Because well, there there are partners. <laughs> yeah. There are there are leases. I haven't seen one in a while, but there are leases that as part of the lease uh, waive right to any hearsay objections. Now it's that's I, I don't think that's a reasonable thing to put in a lease. I don't think any tenant when they're signing an apartment lease is contemplating a waiver of hearsay objections. But that if you see that in the lease, it's so they can get a police report in. But in this one, it says that the landlord has to prove that the tenant was involved with the crime, though. Right. Well, or 
that's what that, that's what's on the slide. But the crime free lease addendum is usually very very broad. And they don't have it. Well, it just says you can't commit crimes. Then they when they well, bring you to it'll court, say, it'll say criminal activity, right? Um, which means what? Right. You know. And so it says you. Your, your guest, your occupant, your whoever, uh, some random person that you say hi to on the, pro on the apartment, you know, premises, um, you're vicariously responsible for anything they do, kind of, is what the crime-free lease addendums often say. Um, I, I've had real, real unfortunate cases where, um, you know, this, this young lady um, tried to help a friend from high school who was essentially homeless and she's like yeah you can crash on my couch she goes to work every day he turns her apartment into a drug distribution center ah, for the for the area she has no idea you know and so yeah she you know she, she's a, she violated the crime free lease addendum um and so it, it's a way to get around the statute i that, i had one where the just, where the person an ex-boyfriend i don't remember what it was but they they'd had some some issues and she kicked him out but the guy kept coming back to the property all the time because he was homeless didn't have where to be and so they were accusing him of trespassing and wanted her evicted because he kept coming back I mean they are they're you know well he's coming to see you I was like no <laughs> um, I don't know yeah there's a scenario for, for yeah okay this one, the, the landlord's alleging a violation of the crime-free lease addendum, which uh, just assume for the purpose of the question is, is almost a strict liability standard. Uh, it's an immediate eviction notice alleging the tenant's children uh, took a bicycle that appeared to be abandoned from a bike rack on the property. At the, the trial, the witness testifies that the children tried to fix the tire but were unable to and left the bike in an adjacent field instead of pushing it back to the apartments. The police were called, a police report was taken, but the boys have not been charged. Um, almost always by the time when you're doing a, a, a ticket, it issued sometimes even, an uh, assault, those take a while. So you're, you're, you're almost always deciding whether there's criminal activity before you have any kind of criminal prosecution going on. So, so there's the scenario. Yeah, so is this, do you make their children? Oh, no one's picking the fourth option. <laughs> that's the. Uh, but that's a. That's an argument you would get, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on, yeah. yeah I, I, I won't say what I was going to say. <coughs> We're in a training format. Uh -huh. Um. I, I. Yeah. If the. If the. Oh, Just in case anyone's in doubt, this was an actual case. <laughs> yeah. This uh, Dorothy Little sent me this. Oh, did she? Once for a, well, once when I was doing a class up in Prescott, and she's like, "Can you talk about this? I had this case," and I was like, "You're kidding, right?" But I don't know how Dorothy did it. How, uh, how did she resolve it? I think she. I think hers was no, they are children. I think that was her answer. <laughs> no. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I don't see a crime if, if it's if it's abandoned, you know you, you 
it, it's it's if it's abandoned, it's abandoned. Um, well, but it was in the bicycle rack, and I mean that was their argument. I'm just yeah. Those are the arguments you get, and we do have some people forty percent here. Yeah. So they have anyone to come say that was my bike? It wasn't abandoned. They stole my bike. Right. Yeah. Well, but they didn't. But I see yeah. we have forty percent people here say that they took a bike they shouldn't have taken, and that that well, it was allowed. So yeah. Uh, again, you'd have it, it, to hear it, the testimony. You'd have to, and again, I I would take into account the fact that they were children, as opposed to if it had, an adult had done it, maybe you look at it differently than if a ten year old did it, right? Are yeah. you going to evict the parent over what a ten year old did? I I, I had a, a a case where I didn't evict. Uh, I think she was maybe twelve, and it, it, it's not like she was. She was stupid or anything. She just didn't understand how the mailbox system worked. Um, it was an apartment complex where, if you were going to pick up a, a package, you got you had a key in your box, and you you clicked it, and then that one opened. Well, at the time she did it, for some reason another mailbox opened too. So she thought, oh, both of these must be my package. Uh, she took both of them, took them back, and her mom said, "What is this? This isn't our package." And so she tried to take it back and put it in the mailbox, and it's already closed, so she just left it on the ground, and someone stole it. Uh, and, and they said they wanted to, that was an immediate, and I said, no, that's not. She's just, she's just stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that on the record, you know, but I said, that's not, that's not a crime. You know, that's just, that's a, a kid not understanding how the mailbox works. Do you find that a lot of these landlords, like, they might have other problems with these people, and then they're just trying to find an excuse to say, oh, yes. it's because you stole yes, the package absolutely. and put it right back in the mailbox? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That's what I kind of figured was the stuff context. It's, sometimes. Sometimes they're just, you know. Sometimes they're just bad people. Yeah. They, they just, uh, whoops. All right. So these are just other considerations. We'll have another slide where you can... Say which of these do you think you would evict and which ones you wouldn't. Um, so we got this a lot for the marijuana that it is a federal crime and not a, and so it still should be a basis for eviction. Uh, the tenant was arrested for a string of rapes and none of them happened on the property. The tenant's unleashed dog bit another tenant in the complex. Maintenance comes to repair the unit and sees drugs on the coffee table. The police came to execute an arrest warrant at the property or SWAT breaks down the door. So in this next one, you could just put the numbers, I guess, of which of those you would evict and which ones you wouldn't. I don't know. numbers that we would. Mm -hmm. Has anyone hit enter yet? Not yet. Um, so oh, that's okay. I'm just wondering because nothing is written on there. So yeah, okay. it's showing that there are four or five people have um, have done. Yeah, I don't see the answers. I'm saying there's another answer. I, no, I don't know. Yeah, it's like 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. They're here. I would guess they don't all fit on the screen, or? No, it's rotating. Yeah. So there's general agreement on number two. <laughs> yeah. Which is the one I would not have picked on. Which one? Number two. You would not? I would not. I mean, I get it. The guy's a rapist, but the crime free addendum says on the property or near the property. But wasn't it just an allegation and not a conviction? Well, that's a, that's a, a whole different story, but I'm saying just the fact that he's committed crimes and not on the property, to me, that is not a basis for this type of eviction. That's for me. I don't know what you feel about that. I mean, I get, it's hard to leave a guy like that in there, right? Well, yeah, because <laughs> all the other tenants are going to be screaming at at the, you know, they're going to be they're going to be trying to break their lease because they're they, they're now have an unsafe. If they say he didn't say that he was a sex offender, so it's fraud. Well, that's a that's a different that's a different story. I, I, I'm just saying what the that's what the statute says. That, yeah, but the crime free the crime free is probably going to say involved in criminal activity. Right, but it's on the property or near the property. It doesn't say you're a criminal, right? No. <laughs> well, here, I mean, this is why I'm saying these are not easy decisions. Um, we can look at that crime free lease and then I'm going to pass it around again. But that, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to guess that it's going to cover felony rape. And then I. Well, no. Lowers the standard of a crime too. Well, but oh, yeah. this is a civil. This is a civil action, and it's not. Yeah. It's just for the safety of the other tenants. And if you find by preponderance of the evidence that the guy's a rapist, you don't want him in the property. Maybe, you know, that's that's a basis. The, the um, other thing that's interesting is to, and, and this happens in a variety of contexts. To what obligation do you have? Maybe some kind of duty to warn people that hey, you're about to testify under oath. When you're pinning a criminal case, um, you know it's being recorded. The prosecution can find this. You know, do you really want to testify? You know, I mean, I it it, it, de it depends kind of on the situation, but I mean, I would say that in most <laughs> of these cases, what you'll find is that that person has been arrested, and they're trying to evict the the wife or the mother or, or yeah. whoever's left in the property. And so I think that's where this whole idea that it didn't happen on property becomes important. Not because you're letting the rapist stay, but because you're evicting the rest of the family. Well, what if the rapist is a registered sex offender? Well, then that's the Then they would be for not saying they were a registered sex offender. And that's probably a material noncompliance. It's probably not, not uh, can't cure curable. That. Yeah. You made a false statement on the lease, and that's not curable, and that they can be evicted immediately for that. Uh, it also, it kind of it kind of matters why SWAT broke broke down the right. door. Um, you know, if they they broke down the door because the apartment was on fire, you know, that's 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 one thing. You know, if they if if they broke down the door because uh, a victim called nine one one and she's being attacked, then you're you. I always hear stories about apartment complex trying to evict victims of crime. I, you guys talk about it all the time. I, I just haven't seen it. Um, so may, maybe it, if it happens in my precinct, they, they do self-help and don't go through me. I don't know. <laughs> um, but 
I mean, I think that the, the thing with SWAT, and I've seen this, I think it was one of the examples that we had on one of the eviction notices when we did the class. It's a SWAT broke down the door. And? Right? Why? Why did they come there? Was the person really Were they the right swatted? person? Were they <laughs> swatted? Were they, I mean, who knows? So is that sufficient? Maybe not. Need more information. Yeah. Maybe not. Well, but a lot of times that is the information you get. A lot of times that's the information you get. Or they, or it's SWAT came and they arrested someone. And well, and why did they arrest the right person? Was the person? I mean, you, these things do come up. I'm just, you know, I'm just. The dog bite is probably the more. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll get a dog bite. The dog bites, <laughs> the, yeah, those those happen, um, and the drugs on the coffee table, those are pretty clear. There's a big difference <laughs> in dog bites too. I mean, and there's then, times where it's reasonably foreseeable. You know, we talk about. I think it's reasonably foreseeable. I agree. I agree. Even though the dog never bit before, but it's a dog, and you had him off leash. I mean, it's like. Yeah. Uh, the marijuana one has come up a lot. I mean, it's. Since the years that I've been doing this, this has been a big evolution. Uh, marijuana used to be completely illegal. Then recreational marijuana became legal. And then now all uh, medicinal marijuana yeah. and now recreational. And so the standards, I think, over time have changed. I don't buy into the argument that it's a federal crime. I don't buy into that one. Uh, but we've, I think they've stopped making that. They've also now gotten very more much clearer on the leases, what's accepted. They have, yeah, marijuana addendums not. to leases. Right, there's marijuana addendums. <laughs> Mostly what they can't, they can't actually forbid anyone from using recreational marijuana. They could just prohibit them from smoking. Mm -hmm. And so if they're smoking, then that's a whole different story. And it's not because you're doing marijuana, but because you're smoking. Right? If smoking is not allowed, then you're not allowed to smoke whatever it is that you're smoking. Um, but if you're doing gummies, or there's no way they can stop you from that, and it's a legal substance. That's my personal opinion. I, I venture to guess that there's a couple of judges out there who still probably want to use that federal crime standard, and um, I, I don't buy it. Not, personally, it's not my, you know, I, I think that I get that the whole federal law thing, but the law in Arizona is that it's legal, and so I consider it legal. Oh. Even though, even though two and five are, are things that are allegations, they're not convictions, you don't typically look at whether it's a conviction or not. Convictions take forever, The convention you know. takes forever. Well, you want to have some information that it's true, that it's not an ex-wife who's ticked at the guy saying something, you know, but, the, but, but you're finding by preponderance of the evidence and not by beyond a reasonable doubt. The standard to evict is different than the standard to convict. Mm -hmm. The rest of the property could be for something other than a crime. Right, I mean, it could be he didn't pay child support. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I, it's, what I was so I'm saying, that, that's a, the, these are just ideas for you to understand the things, you know, if they come to you with an allegation they were arrested, what do we know? I mean, they were arrested. We have, you know, we issue misdemeanor warrants all the time. You know, I had a woman show up at my court yesterday for a case from driving on a suspended license from 2014. So if, if 
if someone at that apartment complex had called the cops because something happened and they checked IDs and they ran a background check and she had a warrant from 2014 driving on a suspended, is that a basis for an eviction? I mean, these are all things that you need to look at and consider. Um, all right, this one. Yeah, all right, so this one's in the court. Okay, so this is when I was new. All right, a tenant in an apartment complex was moving his car, so he backed out and he hit a brick wall, knocked out some bricks, and um, actually I think he kind of knocked over the wall. And the damages were over $1,000, and the wall was not connected to any unit, and the tenant right away went to the office, said, I hit the wall, I have insurance, here's my insurance so we can take care of it. And then the next day, he received an immediate termination notice alleging that he failed to exercise appropriate care and control while operating a motor vehicle and thereby jeopardized the health and safety and welfare of other residents of the community. And then also they said criminal damage because the wall was expensive. Um, the tenant appears to court and admits to hitting the wall. So. Um, in the ARS 33-1368, there's a breach that is both material and irreparable that occurs on the premises, which may include, um, unless a series of crimes, or a breach of the lease agreement that otherwise jeopardizes the health, safety, and welfare of the landlord, the landlord's agent, or other tenant, or involving Im imminent or actual serious property damage. Okay, so the tenant argues that the wall was repairable, you know, had insurance, they were going to fix it. And the landlord argues that by statute, any breach listed in statute has been defined as irreparable by the legislature, and a thousand dollars of damage is serious. Mm -hmm. All right, so do you, Vic? I was just counting how many people there were. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Six? Ah. Well, so um, what happened was, so I was new, and the attorney was like, Your Honor, the statute here says, you know, if this is criminal damage and the wall costs like $2,000 to fix, that's, you know, actual criminal damage. You have to evict because, you know, you know, point to them like, Okay, you know, and I'm like, sorry, sir. I go, um, I realized this was an accident. You did everything you could. You went to the office. You said insurance will pay for it. Um, I'm so sorry, but that's what the statute says. And so I granted the eviction. I think if you had had number one as an option, maybe you wouldn't have. Right. So I didn't know that you could look to intent. Like, I didn't know that intent was part of this. Um, so they appealed, and then when the appeal came oh. back reversed, that's what I was Sorry. able to see, that um, you can look to intent. Um, so then it made me start thinking of a few other cases, like where, <laughs> <laughs> where um, the uncle, like it's this young little couple with a baby, and they're like, our uncle's a registered um, weapon carrier, you know, so he had a legal firearm, but it accidentally went off. <laughs> I remember calling Charlie, like, but it was an accident. He's like, when is a discharge of a firearm legal? <laughs> I don't know, but they didn't know it was going to happen, you know, and I felt bad, you know, those kind of things, but 
I mean, I think, I think you know, it's very clear when there's a discharge of a weapon, the risk for any yeah. other person in the complex is. I never thought I was like, but are you looking at astronomical? Intense? Do you look too intent on it? I don't. I think that the risk. I think that the risk to others there is the, and they probably don't allow firearms on the property. Right. So, so that was well, another. I was happy that this was reversed. Oh, I have a son that don't. They don't allow them. But if he admitted to drinking, then we would take away the intent, right? Then it would be an evictable, something that you would feel... Well, and, and so I think here, and, 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 you know, to the defense of Judge Triggs here, I mean, it was very dangerous what he did, right? I mean, he backed into a wall. If someone had been walking by, someone was a kid on the other side of the wall, I mean, I can see how in your mind you would think that this is a dangerous well, he, act. He backed into the wall, apparently with sufficient force to knock the wall right. over. Right. You know. So, <laughs> and so I think, I mean, I think the, the in this case, the appeals judge, you know, agreed with the tenant, but I don't know that it was necessarily... Well, it, it, starts, it certainly starts to look like reckless. Right. But maybe it's not intentional. I mean, people, and I, you get that every civil traffic, you know, well, I didn't mean. I didn't intend to run the stop sign. I'm like, I, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's a yes/no analysis. You know, you were you were reckless. Um, so I mean, I, I think that I. I mean, I, I I I'm not disagreeing with what the appeals court said. Don't forget, this is a lower court appeal. It's not the court of appeals. It's one judge, you know, who made the decision, and they they don't do as many evictions as we do. Um, and they looked at it in a different, with a different analysis. And I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't see that evicting would have been necessarily wrong. Um, because I, I agree. I think that, you know, if, if you backed into a wall and you're that reckless when you're driving and you live in an apartment complex where there's other people around, you know, why not? I don't know. Like always, none of these things have a clear cut necessarily. So if it was no, I, what, what I like is that you guys talk about a lot about <clears throat> what is the ramification of doing that to somebody. I think that's why you have to like. I understand why you guys have to look super, super carefully at it and at the facts because you know an eviction goes on your record. It goes on like everything. I mean, it can keep you from getting well. It, housing. And ten years ago, when I started, you know, the, there was. I don't know, a really large percent of vacancy rates in, in, in the apartment complexes. And in the end, someone who got evicted was able to find another uh, another place to live. But now, if you evict someone, I don't know that they can find where to live. And so it's you're essentially, you know, the consequences are even worse now, probably. So. Oh, I, I could refer you people to two apartment complexes in my precinct that seem to evict at least 40 people every month. So. <laughs> but so well. I mean, I have one of the largest apartment complexes in the valley in my area. They have, like, their own Circle K inside the apartment complex. <laughs> they're like, they're, they have, like, 2,200 units or something. And we used to have a day of the month that was just for them. I mean, they would bring in, you know, 40, 50 cases or so, or, or 100. I don't know. It was crazy. Let's hit the next. All right. So this was yours? I don't remember anymore. I don't have, I don't okay. have six, I have seven. So the landlord filed an eviction. She filed a notice for non-payment saying that one month of rent was due and a $100 fine. Um, the self-represented litigant, uh, the tenant in this case, indicated that she did pay her rent on the first. The landlord de uh, attorney denied it. She claimed she paid by check. She gets very worked up. She got very upset and very confusing and started saying different things that there was retaliation, that she made a partial payment, and that the numbers were wrong. 
Um, the landlord attorney insisted that she produce the canceled check. She didn't have it. And the landlord attorney was very insistent that the ledger did not show any payment and request that you sign the judgment. I still see there's a couple of people who are not voting. But, um, so the majority of you said that you would set it for trial. Could you do the trial that same day? Or does it need to be set over for a different day? Well, I'm just saying, if you set it for trial, could you hold it today or not, right now? Or did they think they were coming today? <laughs> you should have brought your check today, your proof of it today. Technically, you can. Oh, we got 50-50 on this one, huh? So is it, can you or should you? I guess right, that would right. be the question. Because yes, you can, <laughs> but should you is actually the question. Well, lawyers. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I honestly think that the question is can, can. Okay. Uh, because if the landlord wants to proceed, I mean, can you? I, I guess should you is another consideration for many reasons, like many of you have said. You'd give her time to bring the check or you're not going to bring her time. I, I want to say something on the prior slide before I forget. No, here it's the... Yeah, but, but, yeah, but, the, okay. yeah, but, but the, on the... This is where having a legal education can actually be a disadvantage. <laughs> All of us remember that payment is an affirmative defense that has to be proven. And so maybe you're thinking, hey, hey, she has to prove that she paid this. And if the tenant can't prove that they paid this, then the tenant doesn't get a trial. Uh, in the landlord-tenant world, that's the, the wrong analysis. Um, you, you, the correct answer is, is set the case for trial. And this one actually had a a bad outcome this for one the, was, the judge. Yeah, yeah, it was a very bad case. Um, the, remember that the statute says, or that we talked about, that if you hear anything that sounds like a defense, you have to set it for trial. Can you do the trial the same day? Yes, you can. Do you have to do it the same day? I would suggest that if a landlord wants it the same day and you don't have good cause to continue, probably you should do it the first day. Because remember that the law only allows you to continue for good cause. Most of the time, the continuances are for the benefit of the landlord because they don't have their witnesses there because they can't bring all their court managers, or their court managers, I don't know what I'm saying, all their property managers to court, you know, when they have 80 evictions. And so it, usually it's for their benefit. But if they're ready, if their manager's there, uh, again, I, that's what the tenant was. I mean, if the tenant says, I have it at home, I want to bring it, then maybe you have good cause to continue. But I would say no, that if you don't have a good cause, maybe you should do it that same day. So those are just all things, all things to look at. It usually doesn't happen. This case, the judge got upset and said, we're doing it now. The parties weren't ready. They went ahead and did it. Um, and I, 
it was uh, <coughs> the judge right here. You can say it was reprimand. I think it was a pro tem too. I don't want to scare anyone. But <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything about the retaliation? They were so, and then, and that's the other thing. So when you hear any anything that could be a defense to the non-payment of rent, you need to um, consider any defense. And this woman was all over the place. She was just, the, no, their numbers are wrong, and no, I did pay, I paid part of it. I mean, everything maybe made it sound like she didn't know what she was talking about, which is why the judge probably said, look, it's not showing you paid, I'm signing the judgment, right? Um, yeah. Well, the other issue was that the attorney is not testifying. The right. attorney, so you can't rely on an unsworn avowal as opposed to live testimony. As to that it wasn't paid. And the fact that they brought the ledger again, that's just hearsay until someone testifies to it. So all of it was a mess. Retaliation, there's really no retaliation on non-paper rate cases. Um, but you need to listen to it. I mean, in this case, she had made all of these possible defenses. <laughs> and, I, and I think at that point, as a judge, you have an obligation. In inconsistent as they were. Yeah. Inconsistent as they were. Yeah. If there's something in that rambling that sounded like a defense, you need to consider that as a defense. And, and, because if not, this is what happens. And, and these trials don't take long. They take right. 30 to 45 minutes stops. But, you know. And, and you might not have time, though, to do it that day. If you're doing someone's docket that they have a full docket of evictions, you can't just, every time there's, you know, disagreement. No, no. You, here, you, you know. It, it depends what week of the month it is. It sounds stupid. Yeah, right. uh, but if it, the, as, as, as the month progresses and everybody's grace period is run and everyone's been served their five-day notice and you hit the, the third and fourth week of the month, those are busier eviction calendars than the first week of the month. Um, that are usually just holdovers from the prior month or, or self-represented litigants that have been waiting for a while. But uh, when, whenever you pro tem, just ask uh, court staff, I need some windows where I can set trials um, because you probably won't be able to do it that day. And you don't want to set a, a trial in the middle of their criminal calendar or right. something. <laughs> so did, 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 uh, did you all get copies of all our best practices? Did we do the... We used to do a best well, practice it's, training. I think it's tomorrow they're doing oh, best okay. practice training. So you'll get a copy of <laughs> you'll get a copy of this best practice that led to this, which is, well, you know what Charles was saying. Don't let the attorneys testify. It's very easy to fall into that. They tell you all the time. Well, Mike, you know, and I just tell them you're not a witness. You're not sworn in. You're not a witness. I don't care what you're telling me. It doesn't count, right? So that's the one trap that you fall into. And the other one here was not allowing her to present a defense to just say, well, it shows here you didn't pay, I'm signing the judgment. So just those are the just things to watch out for. All right, material breach, this one's you? Yeah, this one's me. Uh, landlord filed an eviction action alleging material breach. The file contains a 10-day notice indicating that the lease requires the tenant to obtain renter's insurance with a minimum liability of a million dollars. Uh, tenant says she's been living in the property for three months and that she has insurance and is working on getting a new policy, but she doesn't have the money to do so. She says the landlord let her move in and didn't tell her uh, previously that she needed another policy and only did so after she requested repairs on the property. The landlord says the ins insurance she has does not meet the requirements of the lease. 
see what does it say. Oh, these are interesting choices. <laughs> this pick the is this pick the best wrong answer? <laughs> I guess maybe you couldn't read the slide or part because you had you won't sign it. Yeah. I just, uh, next time I'll make sure yeah. that you guys get that part of it. All right, sorry. It, it, it's a little bit of a trick question. The, <laughs> the, in my opinion, it's a little bit of a trick question. Obviously, not getting, not having rent insurance is curable. That, that's an easy cure. So there should be a second 10-day notice. So you have a, you get a 10-day notice, then you get another notice saying, hey, you didn't cure the prior, you know, 10-day notice thing. Those look like this. I, I brought one so you can pass it around. You know, it says you didn't fix the, the prior 10-day notice, so um, you haven't cured it. Um, it, it, it. It starts to look like retaliation um, if the only reason you're bringing an eviction action is after there's, there's some type of a claim for repairs or report to a government agency. The, uh, retaliation, once it's alleged, creates a rebuttable presumption of, of retaliation. The landlord can come back and say, no, you know, I, I you know, this is, the, the, the first 10 day notice was before she asked for repairs. You know, this is not retaliation. Um, I mean, I, it was in the lease, and the tenant signed it, and so when you're talking I mean, about what's in the lease and you signed, I mean, one of Gerald's favorite things that he says that that I like is, you know, you're always free to sign a bad lease. Uh, I, 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 I say you're free to sign a bad contract. Or a bad contract. Yeah. So. Um, which you get into more on the the the, the title loan uh, interest yeah. rate stuff. But the. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could hold that that's in an unconscionable amount, that no tenant is going to have a million dollars of property, you know, uh, in uh, Section 8 housing. Um, or so did you, you, don't, you don't think that it was waived because they let her move in without the, that amount, coupled Acceptance with retaliation? Huh? Acceptance by performance? I mean, that was my ruling. Okay. That was my ruling in this case. Yeah, I mean, you, you could argue it was waived. It, it's more of like an estoppel, you know, kind of I argument. I mean, actually, I actually evicted in this case. Oh, signed the eviction, and then they got legal aid involved and filed <laughs> a motion for reconsideration. And when I read the motion for reconsideration, I did reconsider and, and vacated. That, I mean, yeah, again, wrong reasonable minds could all disagree, but um, I, that's how I considered it. But um, yeah. And then... Well, at, at, at a minimum, this probably needs to be set for a trial because you've got to sort out the retaliation issue. Right. <laughs> uh, and so this case was a Section 8 case. Oh, was it? Yep, okay. it was. Which I think to, to <laughs> well, I think to Paul's point, it's like, you yeah, know, you're, you're asking for a million dollars in a Section 8, you know. Yeah. Um, but, again, 
you know, the HAP authority authorized the lease and, and... I guess that's true. Se someone in Section 8 blessed this lease. Right. And so <laughs> it, 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 it... Maybe that extra zero was added later. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> For three extra zeros. So, does, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think once you've made your decision, I don't know. If, you know, like, oh, I'm going to evict you. And then they say, but this is Section 8. Oh, okay, then I'm going to change my mind. I, I don't know. These are things that you should know ahead of time and make sure that you're making your decision with the additional consideration that's a Section 8. Uh, you know, Susie was saying how we, we take into account what the consequences are. For Section 8, the consequences are even more dire. So, yeah. um, so it does change people's decision that it's Section 8. It's, um, I guess everyone I mean, you, you feel a little more gut-wrenching, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it changes the facts. Of the it, I, it, 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 it would, very it would, complicated. It, right? it, would, it would change whether or not the lease was, was conscionable or unconscionable, right. maybe. Maybe. That's a good point, too. I mean, I think the fact that the landlord let them move in and then didn't care for the amount of the insurance, uh, to me, that was... That, that to me that was my way of looking at it but as you can see none of these are easy decisions and <coughs> there's lots of considerations in all of these things and unfortunately 95% of your cases will be non-payment of rent yeah so they're usually, <laughs> they're usually not this complicated but the ones that aren't turn into this yeah. right, we kind of went over this, this already. so medical the landlord filed an immediate eviction alleging the defendant smokes marijuana Defendant claims he has a medical marijuana card. You hold the hearing, landlord, and folks federal law. Oops, what happened? Charles wants you to speak louder. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Right. So, do you Sorry. Now, everybody, listen. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think what I've had. Um, you know, the addendum says no smoking, especially in the common areas, and then they have, like, a witness that says they've been smoking in the common area all the time and smoking their marijuana. Um, and we've warned them, and we told them over and over, and they just keep doing it. So then at that point, it makes it different. Right, but are they being evicted because they're smoking marijuana, marijuana or because they're affecting the peaceful yeah. enjoyment of others? So. Right, and so then you have to look at what the complaint says. You know, what was their notice? Was their notice because of marijuana or you're affecting the peaceful enjoyment of everybody else? We've asked you to stop smoking and we've seen you smoking in the common area, but that's not going to be an immediate. It should be a 10-day right. notice to stop this behavior. So, smell it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I always say we have a, one of a, I live in a cul-de-sac and there's commonly smell of marijuana in the cul-de-sac. I'm so great. And my next-door neighbor always thinks it's us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys look like she was like, she was like, I was so sure it was you guys. I was like, no, I'm a judge, no. <laughs> so, which I guess ties into the standard of proof, right? How do you know where that smell is coming from? So. It, it was, I, I did have, this was when people still appeared in person. I had a, an immediate, and it was a uh, of marijuana when marijuana was illegal and this guy sh it shows not to jump to conclusions this guy shows up and he had this really horrific neck tattoo 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, that must be the tenant getting evicted. No, that was the maintenance man. <laughs> and rightly or wrongfully, I, I concluded he knew what marijuana smelled like. It's <laughs> 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 so your implicit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So these are just some, I mean, this is still you, right? Right, so let's see, what do we have? Standard proof variance. Landlord representative says she was in the apartment and saw a bong. Um, she says she has smelled it coming from the apartment. She says neighbors have complained about the smell. The lease allows for medical marijuana on the premises, but the notice was for perturbing the neighbor's peaceful enjoyment. What would you look for in this case? Well, so I think we've kind of talked about that. <laughs> but I think yeah. that the standard of proof here is, you know, kind of to the point. Was it coming from the apartment? How do you know the smell? How can you recognize the smell? You have a tattoo? <laughs> that proves you're an expert. Yeah, I mean, um, so the, the, you know, sometimes these standard of proof issues is, is where it becomes, you know, there was a bong in the apartment. Does that mean they were smoking? Was there the one? I mean, just a lot of these. It is preponderance. Remember, it's always preponderance of the evidence more likely true than not. But wouldn't it make a difference whether it's legal, if it's pro prohibited from smoking, anything? Right. Well, right. I, this maybe was an old, maybe we'd take this one out because yeah. this was back from the days when... So what would be interesting to change this, or just to add something to it, is that the tenant smokes it in his car, mm -hmm. right? So he's now... Well, that's not allowed. Space. Maybe it's, he smokes it in the car other places. But because he's in a car, and then he's walking into his apartment, right. it's getting everywhere in his apartment. So even if he's not smoking in his apartment, he's still bringing that smell in there. Well, right. And so what is, is it? Right. That one would make the difference on number four, which is for peaceful enjoyment. And that's just because the neighbors are bothered by the smell. The notice says, you stink. Right. <laughs> you smell like a skunk. Right. We don't want you here anymore. Um, I mean, that, those things might make a difference. I will say that... That's not a good defense, smoking marijuana in the car. Would definitely get him evicted. Because that is illegal. <laughs> You're only allowed to smoke in but private areas, not in public areas. what if you only smoke it areas. in your car off the property? Off the property. Right, that's what she's saying, and you bring the smell. Well, and then I you do have think, to drive, which is a separate problem. But if you're in the park, <laughs> and I do think that, that if they're smoking in the common areas, then that's also prohibited by law. Not even You don't have to worry about the... The, the crime-free addendum or any laws, the law here in Arizona doesn't allow you to smoke in public areas. Yeah. So that would be a basis for an eviction. And so then the standard of proofs, I guess, maybe come in. I, does the, does that's that a civil a ticket, actually. Smoking area, like if they have, is that considered? I think that the, I think it's Charles, you know better about the it's marijuana stuff. Illegal. Huh? You can't do marijuana in public. Right, anywhere. And, and a parking lot is considered public, right? So. Actually, I'd never thought of this before. Is it a crime, though? Because it's a civil ticket. It is. I guess not a crime. So you, you wouldn't, wouldn't violate the crime-free lease addendum by committing a civil violation. I'd never thought no, of this. No, smoking in public is that public is a crime. It's a, oh, it's, it's a petty, petty offense. offense. That's right. That's smoking right. in public is a petty offense. It's not right. a... So it's sort of a crime. All right, so this is a case. There was a non-payment of rent. Uh, from the testimony at the trial, the landlord of the tenant and the witness, there were conversation and attempts at settlement. There's no written agreement or evidence to show that any agreement was reached. The tenant said that the agreement was that she would not have to pay July rent if she moved, 
and had told landlords she would vacate the premises before the 30th of July. By her own admission, she did not physically return the key to the landlord. Instead, she left it in the mailbox. The manager filed for the eviction on July 28th, and the hearing is set for August 2nd. Manager went into the property on July 30th with the expectation to meet with tenant, but no one was there. Manager's testimony was that there were two broken windows and he had to secure the property. Tenant had testified that she had vacated the property by that date. Is there an enforceable agreement? Well, I guess the answers are kind of obvious. <laughs> This is the big question in this scenario, is when did the landlord have possession of the property? Just so everyone knows, the Landlord-Tenant Act allows that at the time of the judgment, you can include in the judgment anything that has accrued, and so anything that is owed gets included in the judgment. So I will tell you right now that anything you hold in eviction on the first or the second or the third of the month, you're including that new month's rent on top of the prior month. It's nothing worse than an eviction on the first of the month. <laughs> uh, because you're including, and then they'll come and argue, but I have until the fifth to pay. And it's like, no, you didn't pay the previous month, you don't have until the fifth to pay. That amount gets added in. So this case, remember the hearing was on the second. So assuming that there's not an enforceable agreement that the person can be evicted or has to pay the rent of July, we don't know that. Do you still have to have the trial? And if there was an actual enforceable agreement, then they wouldn't have to pay July. But let's assume that they did. July is included. You're now on August 2nd. When was the property vacated? Because that will determine if rent was due for August. Can they evict if they have... So the Landlord Tenant Act says that the delivery of the keys is delivered, possession is done by delivery of the keys. So the question is, do we have constructive possession or not? I would guess 50% of the judges say yes, 50% of the judges say no, kind of like you guys here. <laughs> So I don't think that it would be on the 28th because no one knew that the property was vacated on the 28th. There was no actual delivery of possession, just the fact that the tenant vacated and left the keys in the mailbox. To me, that is not delivery of possession. I personally think that when the property manager went on the 30th and no one was there and he secured the property, which means he took actions on the property indicating that he was accepting possession, to me, that means that there was possession. But I, the statute is very clear that delivery of possession is with delivery of keys. And they didn't actually have the keys. And I could see how someone would consider that on the second. What do you think? Yeah, you would hope <laughs> the landlord or the manager would say, yeah, I saw there was no clothes, there's nothing in there anymore. So I secured the property. Well, he said he secured it. Yeah. So. 
I mean, but I don't know if he said he secured it because the windows were broken or because it was empty too, but he did secure right. it. Right, he did secure it. It didn't matter if it was empty or not. He took yeah. possession of the like, property, right? Yeah. What? So they had possession. I wouldn't, in that case, I wouldn't include August rent. I wouldn't either. It's it, it going to be very fact specific though. Um, like all these are, many tenants move out leaving the keys on the kitchen counter. Um, they just, it's like a motel. You know, you, you know, you just, you just, you know, leave the motel room key and then, and then leave. They do the same thing with their apartment. Well, a couple, several days can go by and then they leave stuff behind that may or may not be trash. And it looks like the apartment's still occupied or at least partially occupied. And so for, for those types of cases, it would be August 2nd. Um, my daughter just vacated an apartment, and she's like, yeah, we're leaving the keys by tonight. I was like, wait, don't leave the keys in there. Like, that's what they told us to do. I go, is that in writing? Like, I don't know how Utah works, but don't just leave the keys. Yeah. I mean, I do tell them when they come to court, and they're like, I'm, I'm in the process of moving out, I'm leaving, I, or I've already left. Sometimes they'll show up in court and say, I already left. Remember, as long as the case was filed before the tenant left, that they can still proceed with the eviction. But if they tell me that they've moved out or are moving out, I always ask, did you return the keys? No, not yet, or I left them. And so I always make them on the record indicate that they are delivering possession. Because then that avoids the, I mean, the landlord would have a right to get it rid within five days, but they also have a right to get it in 45 days. And if the landlord decides to wait and then starts tacking more months rent on, you know, so I, I always just tell them, you know, if you don't have the keys or, you know, I left them on the counter, well, are you delivering possession today? Are you on the record indicating that you're giving the landlord possession today? You know, I try to do that just to kind of, you know, just, just make the situation clearer. So there's another question here. Does it change if, so the, the manager says that they secured the property, but the tenant was never there at the court. So you don't know what the tenant did or didn't do. Does that change? your concept of delivery of possession. Right. Those of you who are brave enough to answer said no. <laughs> oh, there are more people. Um, yeah, I think no. I think that, that, uh, that it's, it was the manager's testimony that determined delivery of possession. Uh, and then we already kind of talked about this about uh, if you're including August rent no or not. Showed up at all? You might not get their testimony because it's not required in. No, with the manager. Well, the manager might have testified anyways for oh, whatever okay. reason. See, this is one where you could have signed it and you tack on the extra rent because right. the person never showed up and you didn't hear any of the story. You didn't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. right. If you don't know, you don't know. Like I right. said, when you get an eviction on the first or the second or whatever day you get it, you're adding that month's rent uh -huh. if the five-day notice was from the previous and month. And the manager's not going to be there and they're not going to volunteer. Yeah. Oh yeah, we took possession on the 30th, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you're well, be able to get this. A lot of times actually what will happen is that they will add into the judgment that they want uh, the cost of repairing the window. And so you're like, where did this come from? Well, when we came and I took possession of the property, I noticed the windows were broken and I had to fix them. So that's when it mostly comes up. But those are things that you always kind of want to be listening for. Um, do we want to take a break? Yes.
I've got scenario 10, but I don't know if there are questions on it or not. Or it's just a oh, and I guess here was just the, the idea. I think we talked about this the other day, that if there's small repairs, you might be able to include them in the judgment. But anything that's like if they want, we have to change the carpet, $2,500. Remember, this is a summary proceeding where there was not personal notice, where the, they didn't get 20 days to answer, to respond to the complaint. You want to be very cautious about due process and that the tenant, you're making them responsible for things that should normally be under a civil case. And so, you know, in this case, maybe you would take the money for the broken window if it was actually repaired. Uh, I would definitely not take the money for the, for the carpet. All right. All right, so how long do you want to take a 10-minute break? All right. 10, 10. I think we're doing fine with time, right? Because we're on 10? Yeah, we're doing this. 45, right? Yeah, we're speeding. I like this rule. Yeah, speeding through. Okay, the next one is, I said the rent due is a moving target. It's, it's really the, the amount due is a moving target. And a, a lot of leases will say any payment that's due is automatically rent, and that way all the provisions that deal with rent kick in. But this one, uh, a tenant cannot pay rent on the date it was due, but has the rent money now. The tenant went to the main office at their apartment complex, but the apartment complex would not accept the money order because the total amount didn't correctly, correctly calculate the late fees. The tenant returned the next day with a new money order, but the apartment complex would not accept uh, this one either because it did not include amount for a previously unmentioned swimming pool key deposit. Uh, this happens more than you think it would, uh, where the, the tenant's trying to pay rent, but it, the, the amount due keeps changing. So I think the thing is you set the case for trial the next slide is what are you yeah what are you trying to determine and I, I guess this is one where you just type stuff in yeah or you can shout it out if it's easier than typing yeah what, yeah that might be easier than typing what what are you looking for um, I, I don't know is there, is there I guess there's no there's no next choice. okay so what what do you? What facts do you want to determine at the trial? The notice. Yeah. Total rent due. So obviously you're going to look at the five-day notice and see what it says. Remember, the five-day notice was curable. Yeah. And so were they given the opportunity to cure? Yeah. The. Judge Huberman just said, that since the five-day notice is curable, was the tenant given a reasonable opportunity to cure it? Um, I, I, just to sort of pound it in again, like, like you've been told before, when, before a landlord can evict someone, they have to give them a five-day notice that says, um, if, if you don't pay the rent plus the late fees, um, then I can evict you after five days has gone by. Um, after day six, then if the that the landlord files an eviction action, then they're also on the hook, not just for the rent and the late fees, they're also on the hook for court costs and the attorney's fees. So that's, that's the amount that's due now. But when the tenant is, is trying to pay rent, 
and it's getting rejected over and over again, what 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 are you looking for at at the trial? What? Why is it being rejected? Yeah. Yeah. So it's being rejected because you didn't pay me the full amount. But are the late fees um, uh, articulated in the lease? So did, were they aware of what the lease said regarding late fees? So the late fees should be in the lease, but more importantly, they should be on the five-day notice. <laughs> Some notices are very helpful. They have a little box on the bottom area that says, if you pay on this day, it's this much. If you pay on this day, it's this much. So for five days, they have the amount you should be paying if you come in on that day to pay. So that's helpful because at least it includes those late fees and they know. Right. Others just say, and accru accruing late fees. Mm -hmm. And then they expect the tenant to go to the lease and figure it out. Um, I think that one of the bigger problems that, that uh, I guess the digital world has not helped is that tenants no longer get invoices. There's no longer used to be, I don't know if any of you remember when you first rented, you know, way back when, you would get a bill every month saying what you owed. They don't do that anymore. And so tenants a lot of times have no idea what they actually owe. Because sometimes, some leases, they don't pay the exact amount from one month to another. Because they calculate the water differently, or they calculate, you know, different things. Or you pay a day late and, and you have to pay the extra $20 plus the five, or, you know, whatever it is. And so tenants don't always know the amount they have to pay. Some apartment complexes allow them to call the office and figure out the amount. Some don't answer the phones. And I think this is maybe on the next slide, but it's what sometimes the person who's at the front desk at the property management office has been told not to take any money from anybody after the case has been turned over to legal. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, it's, oh, no, I can't accept your, 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 your payment because the case has been turned over to legal. Well, nothing has been filed yet. Can I still pay? No. And and so that I would that that's uh, aside for the tenant kind of argument because nothing's been filed yet they should still be able to cure and that's just a, a, a rejection by the landlord. Um, I don't know what the next. Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the, this is the big question though. So I tried to pay, but they told me they couldn't take the payment, right? Or mm -hmm. they tried to pay, but I didn't know the amount, or I you know. What does I tried to pay mean? Yeah. So the, the tenant who called to find out how much they had to pay, is that trying to pay? Is the pet <laughs> tenant who... Maybe multiple. <laughs> well, I, I, this is... These are the. This is what typically you run into. I am not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not making this, this up. A lot of this is on the next slide, I think. Oh, is but it? it's yeah. It's the, the 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 tenant will try to pay, and they were the, the property manager said, "Well, just just go to court." Well, go to court's a whole another level of the thing. Now they're on the hook for the attorney's fees and the court costs and the additional late fees. Yeah, and um, or they can't take the payment because they send it to an attorney. Can't take the payment because a court date is set. But what? But Judge Huberman's right. A, a lot of times, tenants will say, "Well, I tried to pay. 
Now, and my question is, well, how did you try to pay? <laughs> um, is, well, I called. Well, did you offer, did you hand them a check? Did you hand them the cash? Did you hand them money order? Well, no, I, I didn't ever do that. I'm like, well, one thing you can do in these cases, if there's a dispute and you're setting the case for a trial, is you can cheat. This is a, a judgment Murray trick um, to, 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 uh, to try to sniff out if the tenant was just lying and say, okay, well, deposit any undisputed amount into the court. Um, the, the court can take that in as, it's that not called a bond, it's called a litigant deposit under our accounting system. But you can, if they've got everything and you're fighting over a $25 swimming pool key deposit, and they can deposit everything in there, uh, you have a trial determined that the $25 swimming pool charge was, uh, was unjust, you can release the, you can dismiss the case release the bond to the landlord, or, or actually be a judgment in favor of the tenant maybe. E either way, you, you release that money back to the landlord and the lease just continues. But if you have a, a, a trial and the tenant is admitting they owe $2,000 and they're fighting over $75, that's a case that's probably going to result in a judgment against the tenant and it'll have a bad outcome for them. So one way you can, you can say, well, you can pay the money into the court as a bond, um, and they'll say, oh, I could do that, but unfortunately, almost everyone says, well, I don't have that money right. now. I, I spent it. Well, or I uh, never had it. I never had it. Um, but the uh, one of the money orders, uh, sometimes tenants will show you a receipt of a money order, like a money order stub. That's proof that they got a money order. That's not actually proof of payment. Um, and I had a landlord attorney one time, and this was when people were still there in person. And the tenant was there with all these money order stubs, and he's like, well, "Yeah, we're, we'll, you know, set this out for next week. We'll, we'll do a trace on the money orders and see where they are, and see if the tenants really paid it. They really did drop it in the box, and you know, it was lost or whatever." And he came back the next week, and the tenant wasn't there. Um, and he says, "Not only did the tenant not use this money to pay the rent, they used it to make a deposit on another property that I represent. So there'll be." being evicted from that one as well. But yeah, I, I'm very sympathetic to tenants who are trying to pay their rent um, and can't because the, their rent's a moving target. And, and, and you know, technically the, the landlord does have a right to reject partial payments. The issue is what if that partial payment is $25 on a, on a $3,000 rent? Or what if it, you know, there, there's some element about, you know, getting it wrong by just 0.02% or something. Um, but again, I think that's the basic question is how did you try to pay and when did you try to pay? Uh, instead of just, most of the time they just called to find out how much the amount was. But truth be told, if they called and said, I need to know how much the amount is, and they tell them, oh, it's, it's already illegal, just go to court then that's another issue because now the landlord themselves are making them add these late fees or add these attorney's fees when, you know, in the previous slide, and we, we talked about this at the, at the last, um, at, at the training, that if they pay, the, land, the tenant always has a right to pay up until the judgment is signed. And so the landlord shouldn't be telling them you can't pay because it's going to court or you can't pay because it's illegal. The tenant always has a right to pay. 
there might be an issue as to our attorney's fees, you know, included in this, or court filing fees, whatever it is, but they have a right to pay and they shouldn't just be telling them, no, you can't. And so I, I consider that pretty seriously. With the, the pool key, wouldn't they require some additional notice to them that the deposit is due and it's not necessarily for non-payment of rent or I mean, There should be some kind of notice. It's, it's always buried in the lease somewhere. Uh, it's something that someone forgot to collect. Um, a lot of leases say any amount due is automatically considered rent, so it sucks everything into the non-payment of rent argument. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's, it's fairly fact specific, but it, it's, it's especially frustrating as a judge where you have 45 evictions in a row that are non-payment of rent where people just can't pay their rent, and then 46, you've got someone trying to desperately to pay their rent, and you're like, hey, landlord, you know, this is the only person this afternoon who's trying to pay their rent. Can't you take this? Well, no, we're not going to take a partial payment. And you, you want to reach over to slap them, but don't do that. Um, well, now it's virtual, so you could just, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, it, it gets, these are things that are, that are very frustrating as a judge. Because uh, you're just like, look, I've got someone trying to pay their rent. You know, they have 98% of the money. Why, why aren't you accepting this? And that's where you wonder if they're if they really just don't like the tenant and they've been looking for an excuse to get rid of them. If it's a small amount that they are tendering, do you and the landlord says I'll accept that, but you have to pay the balance in five days or whatever? You can't do that. You can you can continue the case right. to a different day, and then if you don't pay the balance, be five. The next day, then you would sign the judgment. You can't, unless, because parties don't appear in person anymore, we have less stipulations than we used to. We have none. <laughs> I get a couple. Yeah. I get a Colmar. Colmar and Coleman do some over the oh, phone. Oh, do they? Yeah. yeah. But there's no stipulations in general. And so you could, um, so the, you, they would write things on the judgment, like, if they pay this amount by this date, we'll vacate the judgment. If they pay this amount, we, you know, you just, if they move out by this date, then we'll do this. You know, they used to come up with those agreements right. occasionally. If they're still willing to do that, you could technically write it on the judgment, make sure that it's on the, the, the stipulation is clear on the record, and that, that that is a stipulation. You could do something along those lines. Uh, but you can't, once the judgment is entered, if there's no stipulation, you can't just say, oh, if they pay the difference, I'm going to vacate it. You can't do that. So you either, you know, get the attorney to agree to continue it or to accept the lesser amount. I mean, whatever it is that they, that to me, a lot of it has to do with, you know, where did this extra money come from? And did this come because at the time you didn't give them the full amount and they did try to tender that amount? I'll just dismiss the case. And then if you still owe the 25, they'll add it on to the next month. It's not the end of the world. They're just not getting evicted this month. So you just kind of have to see what the circumstances are. Uh, but we do, I mean, I think all of us try to get cases resolved if possible um, without, you know, obviously without crossing a line that you're not supposed to cross. Uh, but to tell them, you know, is there an agreement to be made here? Do you think that if, you know, you, you can come up with these things. 
you know, Council, what do you think that if the tenant agrees to move out by the 30th, that you won't include the following month's rent or that you'll vacate the judgment? You know, and a lot of times the attorney will say, fine, that's fine, you know, and they'll do that. So those kind of things to... to Oh, this is what we're talking about when they say oh, yeah. they tried to pay, but they really didn't try to pay. <laughs> and that, that's another one. I called them. I left them a message. They never called me back to tell me how much I owed. And, and, and it becomes, whose responsibility is it to know how much you owe? I mean, to, I'm, you know, it took me a long time to get over the fact that the landlord does not send you an invoice and you never have the full amount. And it, but it's just part of renting nowadays. That's how it is. They do have portals, and so a lot of time in the portal, you can see the full amounts, and the tenant can go in and look. But there's a lot of complexes that don't have that, and so it is. It's difficult for the tenant, but it's just the world that we live in now, and that's how it is. All right. So scenario eleven: the office won't accept partial payments. Um, the tenant unexpectedly lost her job, and her husband is disabled and unemployed. She can only pay 400 of their 700 monthly rent. She let her apartment manager know in advance that she would be late. But her church has offered to make up the difference and can get her the money in three days. The manager will not accept anything other than payment in full. Do you reset in three days to give her the option to pay or evict? So what you're going to hear, if they're represented by an attorney, they'll be like, Your Honor, payment is due today, the day of court, um, and they don't have it. So, so six I, people have said reset in three days. You have a very compassionate group of people here. Okay. <laughs> but compassion doesn't always work with the laws. So <laughs> you don't get to say, I'm resetting this in three days, and the attorney's going to go, okay. They're not going to do that. They're going to say, by what legal reason do you have to reset this in three days, Your Honor? Um, you don't just get more time to pay. That's not how this works. And, and that's the truth. So what you can do is you say, well, um, it's good that the church is going to help you. So you have, um, I have to sign the judgment today for non-payment of rent because it's due and owing today in court. Um, so you have, and then I always say the writ date can issue as soon as, and then it's going to be about a week later. And I'll tell them that. I go, so you have until then to move out unless you think you can get something worked out with management. So talk to them right away. Let them know that the rest of the money is going to come from your church in three days. Um, they can work with you if they want to, but they're not obligated to do so. So find out today if they're willing to work with you, and if they're going to do a partial payment plan with you, make sure you get that put in writing. A lot of attorneys um, or um, law firms have a post-judgment agreement form, so it's already filled out or already worked out so that they can just sign it. I think people are afraid to sign things, so you let them know. They're going to have a post-judgment agreement form for you. Make sure you get this put in writing. It protects both of you so you know what's going on. Because they can have an eviction. The person will come, pay all their rent, and they can still evict them if there's no agreement that that rent's being paid to stay. Because the judgment says you owe us this money. And I've seen it happen two or three times that they come back, they're like, I paid and they still evicted me. They're like, well, evicted me. And you say, well... Um, did you have an agreement that you're going to stay? And they say, well, no, but that's what I thought. They were right. going to let me do. And it's like, no, they wanted to move forward with the eviction. 
they had a judgment. They took your money and so that, can you step in and let them know you should get this. I do always say, yeah, the, put in writing if you're going to get it worked out. Every eviction has two parts. It's for money judgment, which may or may not be ever collected, but it's primarily for possession. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the possession is what the, the landlords are going for. In theory, the tenant can pay the judgment off in full, and the landlord can still evict them. Um, and, you, I, and you've said it only happened a few times, but usually, I, yeah. once they get paid, they're good. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. But that's yeah. what you have to make sure that that's the agreement. Here's what, here's my spiel that I, they say over and over again. It goes something like this. Many people can't pay their rent for all kinds of reasons that aren't their fault. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to move. It doesn't mean you're going to be evicted. But it probably is going to entitle the landlord to a judgment against you today. You need to know for your own peace of mind if the landlord's willing to work with you or not. If they are willing to work with you, get it in writing. If they're not willing to work with you, you need to know that as well, because five days from today, they can file what's called a writ of restitution. If I sign that, a constable would go to the residence, change, watch somebody change the locks and kick you out. Um, five days is not very much time to move and find a new place to live, but it's a lot better than the five minutes the constable will give you when they, they, they come to your front door. And then after rental assistance, I've added this part. I don't know what you guys say on rental assistance. Um, I say if you're, if you're thinking about applying for rental, uh, if you think you might qualify for rental assistance, you should apply for rental assistance. If you've already applied for rental assistance, um, you should get a copy of the judgment. Either way, you need a copy of the judgment. The fastest way to get a copy of the judgment is to send an email to the court requesting a copy of the judgment. We'll scan it in and send it back to you as an email attachment, and you can use it for whatever... Um, rental assistance counselor you're working with so they, they know that you're facing an emergency. In theory, your case will go to the front of the line for rental assistance after you've already had a judgment entered against you. If you don't know where to apply for rental assistance, you can go to the Justice Court webpage, just type Maricopa County Justice Courts into Google, uh, click on the top where it says evictions, click down, or, or click on case types and click on evictions, and over on the right side, it'll say rental assistance locator. You can type your address in there, and it will tell you where you can apply for rental assistance. No, we just send them the link by email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't send emails. That, that's that's right. one thing that's different. Right. A lot of courts collect emails. We don't. Um, we, we have them email us, and that way we never have a transpose error in the email. But um, I think most courts yeah. collect email addresses. No, no, I, think it's I, I, I want do to because our email is so long that they're most likely going to make a mistake trying to email right. Arcadia Biltmore Justice Court at JBAZMC. <laughs> well, our, our, yeah, North Valley Justice Court at JBAZMC.Merco. Yeah. And so we put our email address on the same form that we send out that tells them how to, to call in. And so they says, well, what was your email? I say, it's on the form. No, I don't see it. Yeah. Look again. You know, oh, it's this long thing? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think you have a duty to tell them, um, even whether it's in a, hopefully, you can do it as a journal announcement or individually, because, you know, okay, I got a judgment against me. They need to know right. that a writ could come five days later. Yeah. I um, tell them the a, a writ of restitution shouldn't be a surprise to them. If they've come to court, they sh a writ of restitution can be surprised if they didn't come to court. But if they've come to court, you've got to tell them what's going to happen next. Right, and if the judgment is signed, tell them the writ can issue as soon as, and you tell them the date, because um, they'll say, okay, so I have until that date to pay my rent. Yeah. No, no right. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. And then I say it again, so the judgment's been signed. You can be evicted in five days, which five days is really like a week away. Um, <laughs> and 
and then I say, but if you can work something out with management, find that out as soon as possible. Because they always will say, okay, okay, so I have until what date to pay? Right, and you're like, yeah. no, you already missed the date. Right. But, so just, you know, make sure that it's clear. I mean, I, I, I do my, I, we have, a, you all met Scott Davis, right? He did one of the, he did the presentation. He has recorded a similar speech. Um, some of the, my court, we play that at the beginning of every calendar. So all that information is already uh, is already given at the beginning. Even so, I still repeat it all the time because I I just feel people really need to know, and they will say that. Like so, I have until this day to pay, you know. And it's like you have to understand that the landlord can have you evicted even if you pay the full amount owed. And, and so you'll if you're going to pay, be sure you contact them first to make sure they're going to let you stay. The um, the, the writ date is going to be on the judgment, so you can actually say the date. Yeah. So you can, because some judgments are different because they're cares that properties or you know or, or, or whatever. But the 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 writ date will be on the judgment. So you say you need to know by you know January 18th. You know on January 18th they can file this thing. And say, well, what does that mean? I say, and and sometimes you get you say the same thing over over again. And it's just not registering. Um, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I says, well, it means nothing bad will happen to you before January 18th. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's still not really the right analysis. You, you need to, so, so I have until January 18th to call my, the property management. No, you should do that after you hang up the phone now. Right. Call them today. I, I tell them that too. Call yeah. right away. I always tell them, call right away. So you know where you're standing. Are you going to try to collect the money to stay, or are you going to start packing? You need yeah. to know that today. So I will say that in this, uh, in this scenario, I think adding on to what we said about in the previous scenario, you might want to ask the attorney, if she pays the $300, would you be willing to vacate the judgment? Clark Law Firm will probably say yes. Zona Law Firm will say no. <laughs> you know, Zona Law Firm will say, have them talk to management. You know, management decides that. They're, I, I, mean, I already know what they're going to answer, but I always ask. <laughs> Um, so there's nothing wrong with that to, 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 if you wanted to add that in there or not. Or, but I will tell the tenant, if you do make an agreement and you pay and you stay, you might want to talk to management about asking them if they would be willing to vacate the judgment. I just mention it to them. I can't, yeah. you know. Because years later you'll get these motions to vacate a judgment that's affecting their credit because they paid and they stayed. and. You know why is this on here, and they don't realize until they've moved out later, and they're trying. I had to I had 15 motions came in the other day. Someone who had 15 evictions from, I think it was 2016 through 2018. Uh, some of them were months, one month after the other. You know, they ended up they they would pay, they would stay, they would let them stay, and they have 15 evictions on their record now, and they want me to remove them, and I'm like, I don't have a basis to remove these. Most of them were, have been satisfied. The ones that weren't, I, I deemed satisfied. But I had no basis to. And this person has 15 evictions on the record. They're never going to. I mean, maybe 10 years down the road when, when the Valley housing situation changes. But right now, they're not going to be able to rent. Not to anyone in this background. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so that's always an option you should give them to ask that it be vacated. And just so everyone understands how the writs work, you will give them a date, except for the CARES Act property, which right now I think most of the major law firms actually have updated their software and they should be printing correctly on the judgments so that the correct date should already be. 
used to be that they would tell you you need to change the date. We'd have to cross them out and put new dates. Um, but most of them will be the five days. And so it's five days. If today's the 17th, if, we, if you sign the judgment today, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 is your five days. The writ can issue on the 23rd. That's how those count. So that, that's the date that will show on the judgment. The writ can issue starting at 8 o'clock on the 23rd. So the, the, they'll come to court with the writ. Uh, they have to pay the fee, whatever. They, they file the writ. And then it goes into the judge's basket. If the judge is a judge who follows the timelines as they should, <laughs> that, that writ should get signed by the end of the day. Uh, if they bring it in the afternoon, maybe it doesn't get signed till the next day. Uh, but that's usually how it, and that's assuming that they bring it on the 23rd, which chances are, uh, there's one law firm, Colmore, that brings them, like on the day of, the rest normally don't. Um, and then, so let's say I sign it on the 23rd, and then it goes back, and then the constable will come in the morning of the 24th and look at it. The constable will probably call them and tell them, hey, I have this writ. They'll tell them that they're going to go on the 25th. Maybe on the 25th they post it on the door. Maybe on the 26th or 27th they're actually removed. So it's really never you're going to get kicked out on the 23rd because just the, the bureaucracy of it doesn't allow it. Um, it, it it's also a function of how busy the constable ha happens right. to be because they can have 40 writs that they haven't gotten to yet because they were serving orders of protection right. and they were serving criminal subpoenas or, or, or whatever, or criminal... Right, well, I think uh, it was just summons. usually why they call them and tell them, hey, I'm going to come, and so maybe that person avoids the whole issue when they're told. So it's never, you know, the 23rd always turns into the 28th or something. <laughs> yeah, and every I mean, once in a while I share that with the Yeah. Like, I'm really trying to move out, I'm going to be, but yeah. they go, well... You know, your writ will issue on a Friday, so most likely you're going to have the whole weekend. Because right. I sign it on Friday, it doesn't mean the constable delivers it on Friday. Or, or oh, just look, ask, you have a holiday or just, weekend, so you have to right. Or just ask, ask the property manager for more time to move out. Right. Yeah, they don't want the writ either. You can always yeah. ask them for more yeah. time to move out. Yeah. So, but, but just so you understand in your, in, in your minds that you know what's really happening there. Um, all right, so this one is a lost money order. The tenant appears in court, says that he put the money order in the drop box or the mail slot at the office. Plaintiff attorney says no payment was made. So first of all, says plaintiff's attorney, remember that testimony? No. no. So right off the bat, it sounds like the tenant said they paid. This is going to go to trial. Um, so regardless when, the manager testifies that there's a sign that indicates that management is not responsible for lost checks. Who's responsible? Well, I guess we already know. Oh, yeah. Well, no, we have, uh, well, we set for trial. Yeah. In this, I don't know if there's another question on this one. Um, oh, typical. Typical. I need a copy of the, and they want you to get what I need, and, you know, it's your job, right, to get them the, they do, they do have a right to get uh, subpoenas for these things. I don't know if I've ever had any. I tell them, go to the front counter, fill out the subpoena, send it in. I, I don't know how many people actually do that. Um, 
but definitely you're going to set this for trial. You're going to give an opportunity to find out, you know, what happened to that money order. Um, usually they don't have proof that the money order was cash because they never have enough time to get that. The thing is that we're setting these trials in three days and they have no way to get, they go to Western Union and Western Union tells them it's going to take 15 days to get information. That is always the issue. Um, if they can replace the money order, that's not that big a deal because you tell them if it turns out that that money order was cash and you found out, you know, you can uh, get it back from the, the landlord. Who has the extra money to pay another month of rent? I mean, that's where your big problem is that they don't have it. And so I think that the question here is, do we consider that lost money order as money that was paid or not, and who's responsible for that payment or for that money order being? I don't completely buy the argument that they're not responsible because you put the slot there. I mean, <laughs> you put it there, you're allowing people, and, and they'll tell you, I always pay this way. I've always deposited my check this way. You know, I've always put in the slide, then the one month that it's lost, it's like we have no way of knowing, you know, what happened to it. But in the end, you just have one testimony against the other, the person who said they put it in there, which they can probably not prove that, maybe they can prove they bought it, maybe they'll have the receipt. Uh, a lot of times they don't even have that. Um, and then the person saying they didn't get it. And in the end, the obligation is that the rent be paid, and if the rent's not paid, do you have anything you want to add to that? That's These sad. are like the saddest situations yeah, ever. Yeah, and also when the, <laughs> when the landlord rejects the payment, which was most of it, but not all of it, and then it's somewhere floating in certified mail. Oh, right. <laughs> and they don't have their money order to pay because, and then you can track it, and it's like, oh, it's being whatever you know right like, I had you know I was missing the $400 I got the $400 now but now I don't have the original money order to pay because they send it back yeah, and, and it's in the mail it somewhere else but I mean in the end the, the obligation is to pay the rent and if rent's not paid it's very difficult for you not to sign a judgment these lost money orders are really I mean occasionally you'll get someone who had it stolen who had it and that's just clearly, clearly not the landlord's fault. Um, but the the lost ones are, I think those are a problem. Um, you'll find managers who don't care, who'll be like, well, we didn't have it, we don't have it, we don't, you know. And then there's others who'll actually try to track it, and they'll look for it, and they'll check their, you know. It, it, it depends on who the who they are, and you'll find different situations. How often does it come up, lost? Once a month. Really? <laughs> yeah, probably. The uh, Judge Tolba used to tell a, a story that I think it was true. He had uh, a, someone <laughs> someone broke into the property manager's office one night um, and stole a bunch of stuff. And the next day, the entire apartment complex claimed they paid their rent in cash by putting it in the in the, in the draw box. So he's like, "Well, I, <laughs> I can't really do much with this." Um, Thirteen locked out of oh, portal. Oh, sorry. Well, that's okay. Whoops, sorry, sorry. I get very confused with this stuff because I can't see it because I'm using my 
yourself twice. Ah, I keep doing it backwards. Sorry. Well, yeah, that would. Okay. You'll, you'll definitely hear this, see this one. Um, the rent's due on the first, but no late fees accrue until after the fifth. The tenant appears and says they tried to pay the rent on the fifth, but for reasons unknown, were locked out of the payment portal through Walmart. Sometimes you have independent uh, things that you can set up through payment. Something you can pay your your utility bill and some of the court fines at Circle K at 2 in the morning next is that is the machine that's next to a lottery machine um, anyway you can you can you, well, can, you deposit your winnings into rent that's yeah you sense. can do that yeah <laughs> uh, the manager indicates that she needs to she needed to speak to the tenant and couldn't get her answer couldn't get an answer to her calls so she locked her out to have her come speak to her the manager indicated that after the tenant came to the office she was told the porter will now be available the, te the tenant testifies that she went on again on the 6th and was still locked out Landlord attorney said rent could have been paid some other way uh, through a money order or, or cashier's check. The uh, a more common scenario is the split second they hand a tenant a five day notice, they lock them out of the portal, mm -hmm. and that so they can't make a partial payment. So what do you do with a tenant that's that says she's trying to pay her rent but is locked out of the portal? Oh, I guess this is an essay question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in court like at the end of the month now. Well, and, and, and I think the, the, the bigger thing that, you know, that we haven't talked about, that we talk about all the time, is that tenants don't read anything. <laughs> they don't read anything. We, you know, we keep getting requests for rule change and legislative changes and, and you know let's give them more information let's give them more information give them seven handouts right and i agree <laughs> you know we all agree that the best thing for a tenant to have is information but are we giving it to them in a format that's useful to them and we i think all of us would agree that no and no we give them more stuff and you get these five-day notice i don't know where the copy of the five-day notice was you know, you get five-day notices that look like this. There's five-day notices that look like this. Who's going to read that, right? There's five-day notices that are very clear. They have a box with the numbers, have <laughs> dates on them. Maybe those are easier. But all of them are legal five-day notices. And so what information are you giving the tenants? Uh, it turns into, a, or at the least, a 40-page lease that, of course, they never read. 140. Um, So the people who want to have a trial, I guess, what are you going to? It it depends what the tenant says at the initial appearance, but what are you going to have a trial about? It, it it's undisputed that the tenant hasn't paid. It might be. <laughs> they tried to pay within the five days, and they don't think they owe all the late fees that they now owe because they weren't able to pay and they couldn't contact the management, like there's no one to get a hold of, no one's in the leasing office, I've had this rent, so they have the rent, right? So I always ask, so can you pay the rent right now? Because if they had it on the first, they should have it on the 28th. And sometimes, like I said, they'll be like, oh, well, I spent it. But sometimes they say, yeah, I do have it, but I don't think I owe attorney's fees, and I don't think I owe late fees, because I tried to pay on the 5th. 
before all of this was due. So then I do set it for trial and then we listen to whatever and see if we can get it worked out that it's it's yeah. paid and we can waive those. And a lot of times these trials are just going to be on the amount due, not on the fact that rent was due. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I tried to pay. I got the five-day notice. I tried to pay, but then I didn't know how to pay. I couldn't figure it out. But So I agree that I didn't pay my rent, and we're just arguing over the amount of rent. The uh, do do you want to have a full trial over that? You know, maybe you get the parties to agree on an amount. Maybe you get, yeah. uh, I mean... There's different ways that you go about it, but a lot of times that's what the trial is about, the amount of rent that's owed. That's the only thing. The, unfortunately, the, the most common scenario that I get is I was locked out of the portal and I didn't, I left a message and never heard back. Right, that's me. the more typical. Well, that, you can't really do a whole lot with that because a, a tenant has an absolute duty to pay rent. Um, that's one of the few absolute duties a tenant has is, is to pay rent. And so... Um, I agree. I wouldn't set that I, one for trial. I, and I was like, well, yeah. what what other efforts did you make to pay rent? Right. And if it, it get, sometimes they don't, they're renting a house. They don't have a property manager that they can walk across the parking lot and talk to. It's a property management company that doesn't answer the phone, and the landlords in California. Right. Um, and and you get a mess. And you're like, well, did you have an address? Yeah. Well, did you mail a rent check to the address? No. Um, so it, but they're like, well, I, it, the tenants is like, well, I tried once in the portal. I was locked out. I gave up. What that, I will, that doesn't work. What, um, I, what I would say about the not reading is if the lease says that they pay by portal, which nowadays many of them do, the five day notice should tell you how to pay <laughs> if you're not paying through the portal. Because it should be a, the only, you know, you'll see the language is in there. Only checks or money order will be accepted. Only, And so the tenant's going to have a hard time, you know, saying, I tried to pay, but the portal was locked and I didn't have any other way to pay. When it's written on the five-day notice that they didn't read. Um, well, I, I, that, I bring this up because it is frustrating. It is frustrating. We have so many, you know, good people out there trying to help tenants. And all they want us to do is give them more papers. <laughs> and it just, it, you know, we, we attach now a copy of the, of the lease and the ledger. They come to court, and I'm like, have you looked at the ledger? I didn't get it. And I'm like, no, it was attached to your copy of the complaint. And they'll be in court going through their paperwork, and they're like, oh, yeah, here it is. You know, it, it's, and, and that was added because, we, you know, everyone thought that that would be helpful to the tenant. But the fact is that they don't look at it beforehand, and so. I, ironically, over the years, we've made uh, evictions have more and more requirements, and what it's actually done is made landlord attorneys more prepared, <laughs> um, as opposed to to helping tenants. I mean, when when I started a long time ago, that nobody was prepared. All right. Now, landlord attorneys are are frequently very prepared, um, because they have to do all this stuff. That, that wasn't there before. That's true. I hadn't looked at it that way, but that's very <laughs> true. And so I think that, I mean, I think in the case where the five-day notice says you had to pay by money order and your only argument was like, I called and they didn't answer, I mean, I think that you signed the judgment. I don't, I think that does not go to trial because I don't think there's a triable issue if the tenant admitted that they didn't pay the rent, right? If they said they, you know, that, that but if they admit they didn't pay the rent and they, their argument is just the portal was locked. 
I probably would sign that judgment. Actually, b before I forget, I don't know if this was in any materials. I all, when I set a case for trial, I always tell the tenant to file an answer. Um, I tell them how to get the answer form. I tell them that there's no charge for filing an answer. Um, more than half of the time when the case, when you, at the trial, the tenant has not filed an answer. And so the first thing the landlord attorney will do is some kind of motion for judgment on the pleadings because the tenant didn't file an answer. I, I deny those. Um, I, I, I just proceed. Which is why I don't even ask them to file the written answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I mean, there's an if answer in the initial hearing on the record. Right. If it, yeah. right. So if it's complicated, I would sometimes say you need to put this in writing because when they come up with dates and this and that, I paid this day, you know, I'm like, put that in writing for the landlord, that I get. But when the answer is, you know, the, they locked me out of the portal and I couldn't get in, they already said it on the record. I'm like, I don't need to set it up for them, the landlord, to say, oh, they didn't file the written answer, you need to yeah. find, you You're know. assuming I'm going to remember the case four right. days from now. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good, that's you a write good point. Notes. So I always do a sticky note on my file, so if I set it for trial or for a reset to verify if the landlord accepted a partial payment, right. I put it on a sticky note, because then I pull it up and go, oh, we reset this for this, and it jogs my memory, but also if I have a pro tem, then the pro tem knows why this was reset because my notes are there also and right. it helps each That's other true. and I like for my pro tem to write the note so that when they pass over the case to me then I know why they reset it. I will say oh, that oh. when I get a case without a note I'll always blame the pro tem and then find out that most <laughs> <laughs> of the time it was me who didn't write the note so. Judge Watt has developed a form that I, I need to to modify and maybe recommend to everybody but it's why was this case set for a trial? Oh. And he has like 30 things you can check off. So if any of you are, are pro-timming in, in Manistee, um, you'll, you'll get that form and it will be inherently obvious to whoever gets the case for trial why the case was set. But most of the time you get a, you get a post-it note that says... Yeah, I mean, I think what will happen a lot of times is the tenant will come in and say, I didn't get the five-day notice, right? So we set it for trial because you didn't get the five-day notice. Then the trial comes and they're like, and you know I also this didn't happen and so you know the attorney will be like well they didn't say that that wasn't a defense we're here you have your witnesses let's just do the whole trial right I think that's why the limitations of making them file a written answer or not a written answer it's, um, but you do want to try to develop as much as you can at the first hearing so everybody knows to be prepared you know because if the tenant comes up with a different defense that the attorney didn't bring the correct witness for you know that might be an issue so just that kind of thing um, so I think we might have talked about this the other day at the training the tenant received a 10-day notice for noise and an authorized drug occupant in May a second in July a second notice was set indicating the unauthorized occupants are still there Deny though. Mm -hmm. 
even though it's a second 10-day and they're denying that there's an unauthorized occupant there, then you do set it for trial. Right. And then they have to prove that that unauthorized occupant is still there and it wasn't cured. I think this was an interesting one because two months passed and they're coming back on the same original non-cured notice, which a second notice is non-curable, which would have made more sense. To say you have an unauthorized occupant, this already happened once, now it happened again. I mean, I think it's kind of a silly, um, but the, the, regardless how you look at it, either the first notice wasn't cured. I mean, I would question why did you wait two months, but the second notice wasn't cured, or there was a second notice given that's not curable. Um, these, the, if, if they do cure the first notice, they're still liable for if it happens again. There's no reinstatement of tenancy based on that. So the fact that, oh, I got rid of the, you know, I got rid of the dog when you told me the first time, uh, now I have a cat. It's like, no. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, it, 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 I didn't reinstate your tenancy. They don't. You can tell who the cat person here is, right? <laughs> you have both? I no. I, yeah, I grew up both. I oh. like my cat in the house and the dog was outside. Gerald doesn't like cats. I do not like cats. <laughs> my, my, one of my favorite exhibits ever was uh, a picture of a window and it just had blinds, you know, that were closed. And there was a cat paw in, in, the, in the blind, just the paw. And the tenant was saying, I don't have a cat. And, and that, so the landlord shows this picture and says, well, how do you know that's my window? Get out of my All right. Oh, I think we're almost done. Yeah. So I think we will have a little bit of time to talk. This is, I thought it was going to be long. Maybe next time I'll put more scenarios. <laughs> All right, so retaliation. Uh, so the landlord provided a five-day notice. Tenant paid. Oh, can I can I stop you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Because I thought the other scenario would have that. I don't know what the next one is. It's that first non-curable, or that first ten-day notice was for an unauthorized occupant, and then they sent one two months later for noise. Is that a second notice that's non-curable? They have to be of similar nature. If it's a dog and then a cat, probably because those are similar natures. If it was a loud party and then a fight, maybe yes, because those are similar nature, they're noise complaints. They just have to be something that's, you already put on notice that this isn't allowed, you can't do this again. If I was put on notice because I had a dog and now you're complaining because I had a party, then you didn't put me on notice for the correct thing. That, that, sorry. I just, no, 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 I was just trying I to think about of some, some scenarios that I had that were similar. A lot of times it just says a lot of traffic. Right. Traffic in and out from the apartment. And then the next time it's drugs. Drugs from the traffic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, you know, the, those are things that you have to be a little bit more cautious where they put on notice. I mean, the drugs is an immediate. immediate. That's not yeah. a... a, a, a um, but they, they'll do that. They'll, they'll, you'll get two that are like completely not related and it, the statute does say they have to be of similar nature so just take that into account sorry I didn't interrupt it no, okay. all right so now the landlord provided five-day notice the tenant paid a large portion of the rent and entered into a promise to pay tenant paid off the promise to pay which included all the applicable late fees 
Landlord then stated the tenant needed to sign a promise to pay for an additional $500. Tenant refused, and the landlord refused to explain why an additional amount was being requested. <coughs> tenant filed an action in court for unlawful rent increase. A few days after they were served with complaint, tenant was served with a notice to terminate agreement. Is this retaliation? So then if you look at the, the um, statute, of the Residential Landlord and Tenant Act, it states that a landlord may not retaliate by increasing rent or decreasing services or by bringing or threatening to bring in action. So, then it is retaliation, would you say? I don't think there's a question on this yeah, one, right? No question. Um, but the statute is clear, too, that when they claim retaliation as their defense, you're supposed to assume it's retaliation until the plaintiff can prove that it's not. So you pretty much go, oh, retaliation, let's make sure, unless it was for the non-payment of rent, which it doesn't apply. In. Um, so just you'll right. read that statute clearly. There though. can't be, if they're claiming that you didn't pay the rent, you can't claim that that was retaliation. Um, but anything else, you yeah. have to, you just, again, a lot of times the tenant won't say, oh, they're retaliating. They won't use they the, the language. They, mm -hmm. don't, they don't know that it's a defense. But they'll say something like, you know, they wanted more money, they wouldn't tell me why, and then they gave me this notice. And so, you know, in your mind, you need to put two and two together and say, oh, this is retaliation. Or at least it's a retaliation defense that needs to be determined at trial. Um, there's, in, as you attach it to the materials for Friday, the, so I, I did a presentation a couple years ago on avoid being overturned, which was just going through some of the case law uh, that we have with our lower court appeals. Um, and I found it the other day and I was like, you know, it's useful just to have, we're not presenting it, but I think it's in the materials. Is it today's? So it should be in there and you'll have some of these. And then there's one of them in there that the, that the, that the judge did not consider uh, a retaliation defense that the tenant had brought up and so those are just things that you need to listen for and if they're there again you shall set it for trial oh this was fun so the initial appearance the defendant said oh I guess was there another slide before um, the they they One's not going back? Huh? No, there wasn't. Oh, there's not. I must uh Oh, look, it came up came up wrong. So he was served an immediate eviction for serious and imminent property damage and vandalism. They said that he broke the community window and that the incident was captured on video. Then the tenant comes in and says he didn't break the community window, he broke his own bedroom window because he was locked out of his house and he said he offered to pay for the damages, but they never offered him that option and they were evicting him on an immediate. So the notice, of, you know, they said it was a community window, he said it was his own window. The statute does say that the notices have to be clear as to what the breach was. So if it's a wrong information on the notice, 
um, I mean, there could be an argument to be made if the landlord agrees that they did make a mistake, that it was a different window. Um, there could be an argument to be made that the notice was improper because the tenant wasn't properly advised. Um, if the landlord doesn't agree, then definitely you need a trial to determine what really happened. Uh, but I think that if the landlord agrees that it was their, the, the tenant's window and not a community window, uh, I think they probably say community in the sense that it belongs, you know, to the community, but um, that, that, that might be to consider. I would probably set this one for trial. Um, and so is this an immediate when he said he broke his own window but offered to pay for it? No, everyone said no. This was, this was my case that I had in my course. I can vividly remember the whole thing. <laughs> um, but really, the guy was having some sort of fit and like... He was having a mental breakdown, Mental I think. breakdown. And so he's screaming and all this stuff, but they only put in the complaint that he broke the community window. So... Well, so you can't evict him based on anything no. else. And then in trial, they're like giving all these witnesses of how crazy he was screaming and all this stuff and and then I was like yeah but your complaint says he broke a community window and nothing of this other stuff so but it was a very interesting <laughs> well and I mean I, I, I think I think this is kind of iffy right if you're in an apartment complex and you're breaking a window even if it's yours I, I, it's repairable yeah. Yeah. He could fix the window, and it wasn't. It was like a two hundred dollar window. No, well, that, that that that's true. That's what I'm saying. These are kind of all. Yeah. You know. And you know, he said he was locked out. He had to get in because he didn't have any other. Keys. But I think did they say that he did this they before? They said he's done he's this done before. before. He, knows he can go to management, <laughs> and he's like, but management wasn't there, and and I had to get in right away, and it was. So <laughs> I mean, I. I it was a poorly drafted notice. <laughs> Oh, here, it's all in here, that he was, uh... Yeah. Oh, they did show a video of him break the window. There you go. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, sometimes these are just excuses, right? This is a crazy guy, and they just want him out of the property, and they're trying to grab onto whatever they can. But I, but I, I think that the, the, the way the notice is written for the tenant to know what exactly, you know, it's like the house is unkempt or it's, uh, you know, the, the, you get a lot of these really vague notices and you're like, what are they supposed to do to fix this? Um, there's a lot of debris, you know, is that sufficiently, is that, you know, that there's just, but it's very common to find these, uh, and, and they'll say it was the front door and it turns out it was the garage door. It turns, I mean, a lot of times they're very, I guess there's a miscommunication between management and the attorneys when they get the information. And so you do find these notices that are, and, and I, I agree that if the notice is, is improper that right, the tenant can't cure it. And, and that's what they're also in trial, the notice is what lets them know what they need to defend themselves on and the complaint. And so 
it's not in there and they come to defend themselves on the broken window and it wasn't a community window but they're not ready to defend themselves on their erratic behavior right <laughs> right and you know that's that's prejudicial all right so i have one that came up the other day since we were um the oh and i just slipped my mind oh my gosh <laughs> You said that about the erratic behavior, and then it just kind of slipped my mind. No, I don't remember. Well, while you're thinking, I had one that I wanted okay. to share that I thought was really interesting was, so it was a new landlord. He put a notice that said, if you want to pay the rent, you need to call this phone number um, for the rent. So then he, the lady calls, and he comes to the door, and he's like, let me have your rent. She's like, well, I want a receipt. And he's like, well, I don't have receipts to give you. She's like, well, I'm not paying my rent until I get a receipt. And then he's like, well, then I'm going to give you a notice that you didn't pay your rent. So then he puts the notice, five-day notice on her door. She didn't pay the rent. She's like, I just need a receipt. And so then we get to court, right? He has an attorney. And um, and he was, like, upset with her, didn't like her. And it, was, it comes out during the hearing that he blocked her. And then brings a proof of this flyer that says, if you want to pay your rent, call this number. But he blocked her from that number. So she couldn't. And then she's like, all I wanted was a receipt. I still have my rent, but he blocked me. I couldn't. And so I said, all right, well, you're going to accept her rent with no late fees, no attorney's fees. And he was like, what? He looks at his attorney, and it was Andrew Hull when he's still oh, there. Oh, oh, oh. He's like, just do it. But, you know, and the, and the lady just wanted a receipt. That was the only difficult. Didn't like her and blocked her. And I said, well, if she's supposed to call this number to pay rent and you blocked her, how is she able to pay the rent? That's, well, I mean, that one's pretty clear, I think. <laughs> so, but it came all the way to court, I, and he was so upset. I remember the case I had. It was a, it was a pro-per landlord, and she gave a five-day notice and then took a partial payment. So the, the, the pro tem that was in the court dismissed the case because there was a, pro, a, a partial payment. So then she comes to me the next, you know, last week, and and I'm looking through. I'm like, I don't see a notice in here. I don't see it. And all I could find was that the original five-day notice. And I was like, you took a payment after this one. It's in your ledger. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah. That's why the judge dismissed it. But I gave her another notice. And I was like, well, I need to see that other notice. You can't come to court without showing me the notice. Well, no, but I gave it to her. It might not be in there, but I gave it to her. And I was like, well, ma'am, I can't take it if it's. And then. Turns out that she never gave her the new second day, the second five day. She just included it in the summons and complaint when she filed the second eviction. And she's like, well, she got it. It's there. Uh, but that then is not curable, right? Because they have to have the five days to cure, and then they can file. So once they, they wanted me to take notice that it was filed with the summons and complaint, because she kept saying, I gave it to her, I gave it to her. She, and I was like, I need some proof here. And, and then she ended up admitting that. And then she told the tenant, well, I'm just going to get an attorney now. And you're going to pay $1,500 in attorney's fees. Not if I don't award them. Right. <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is what I said. I said, no one here charges $1,500 in attorney's fees. No. You might want to get an attorney who charges less. Since, since we have a, a little bit of time, I, how you approached how you call the case and how you approach it matters. Um, 
and this is this is what I do. The the other two judges may have something completely different. Uh, many judges just call the case name and let the landlord attorney talk, um, or let the if the if it's a someone representing themselves as a landlord. I, I think you have to ask, are you the property owner? Because about a third of the time you'll get no, and you're like, well, time out. You know, you you can't be the plaintiff. Um, well, I've always been the plaintiff. You're the only judge who's ever. I, I, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I, no. You, you, if, if you're not the property owner, you can't. And, and you not. guys will probably get the judge in this court does allow me. I'm sure that's what they tell you. Yeah, um, don't believe them. What I do it a little bit. I I I go over the proposed judgment. I say your landlord is alleging you owe this much money, this much in late fees, this much in utilities. Um, is that correct? Are, are, are those numbers correct and when they say yes, which is they do 90 over 90 percent of the time, I say, is there a reason why you didn't pay your rent? And I'm listening for anything that sounds like a defense. And what you get is a mixture of financial hardship. Sometimes you get financial hardship because my landlord's a jerk. Um, sometimes you get these horrific stories of job loss and cancer and, you know, well, my son was shot yesterday. You know, you, you get these really horrible things, but I, I let people talk because uh, I want them to, to feel that someone listened to them, uh, e even if they're not saying anything as a defense. Every now and then, though, you get, what's well, been really hard since he cut off my power. Like, okay, wait, what? You know, then that, that now you've got something. Um, other judges approach that differently. Other judges approach it more like a, a guilty plea proceeding where you you make the the defense attorney give or the prosecutor no, the give, yeah, give, the, give a factual basis. The landlord basis. attorney, yeah, yeah, I don't do that. So, I, how do you how I do you did, call So, case? I actually start off by saying that the landlord uh, says that they gave you notice on this date that you hadn't paid your rent and that you still owe you know you, you owe the rent for December and now January or whatever. I put the notice in there. I didn't used to, but I do now. Uh, because I do find that a lot of times they'll say yes I owe the rent and you're not giving it an opportunity to say if they actually had got the notice or not they may not know and so I, I'd say that first I say you know they're saying that they gave you notice rarely I mean you do get people who say I never got the notice or you know and you can tell who are the ones who are just saying it because they didn't go to the post office to pick up the certified mail or the ones who really say, I didn't get it. Um, and we have found over, and I'm not saying this, that it's, you know, it, 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 always, it always boils down to the, the lowest common denominator, right? So the one person who does something bad, you know, kind of makes a bad name for everyone else. I think that most landlords, when they say they hand-delivered the notice, they hand-delivered the notice. But we've got a lot of them out there that don't. They write they hand-delivered it when they didn't. They, you know, this, the woman, maybe it was her that it says, it says here that you hand-delivered. Well, hand-delivered because I put it on the door and then she picked it up with her hand. And I'm like, that's not hand-delivery. You know, like they're playing with the words, they're playing with the, and so you do get those things once in a while. And so, you know, those are the kind of things that you're, you're kind of looking out for. You, you always have to assume that not everything was done correctly as it should have been. Um, but that that's a good point about, you know, finding out who the owner is. If, if it's an LLC, if they're appearing for the LLC, you want to ask what they are of the LLC. 
um, are you a member or are you just uh, uh, the manager, you know, whatever it is, um, just to make sure that they're the person with the proper standing. Uh, you know, now that we do trustees, we get more of those than we used to. Um, not that common, but you still get, and usually those are family issues. The the whoever is the trustee is trying to kick out the sister, um, but those you might want to actually get paperwork from the probate court that they are the trustee. Because well, just someone yeah, come in and say I'm the trustee. Quite, quite frankly, I, I look for a way to transfer those. Well, if the plaintiff and the defendant have the same last name, that's a flag. Right. You know that something's and and if if one of them raises ownership of property. Um, I I immediately punt those. Um, we don't. I can't decide who owns the property. Well, you know, my dad promised it to me verbally. I'm like, okay, that's probably not going to work. Um, but still, I but, don't get to decide it. But I, I don't get to decide that. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I, yeah, I, every now and then you get something. If the plaintiff is the estate of, you know, like, wait a minute. Yeah, this is this is going to be a mess and. I, mean, I I had a case they were the, the woman came in to ask for an order of protection first and I denied it uh, she kept saying that her sister I think they were half sisters or stepsister I don't know what the deal was but that she was smoking meth in the house or whatever it was I I, I, I denied the order of protection so then she came back with an eviction and then I'm like but she's not a tenant you can't evict her based on an immediate because there's no such thing if if, if if she's not a tenant, then it's a general eviction. You need to find another reason. And they ended up both coming with attorneys. It turned out into this, you know, it was a whole mess. And I ended up finding out through the attorneys that they they were both on the on the will, or that they were both supposed to, but that the house was supposed to stay in trust for like five years until they were eligible to get it. And there was a clause in the trust that if either of them was doing drugs, I guess they'd been drug users before and they were supposed to stay clean and that they would lose the property so they're accusing each other of doing drugs so they could stay with I'm like this is going to probate court I am, <laughs> I am not dealing with it you know the attorneys the attorneys came and made their argument and I was like nah this sounds to me like you've got a clause in here that who gets to keep the property that becomes an ownership issue yeah. you get these things once in a while it's uh, and then speaking of punting um, sometimes they'll file a counterclaim, like the tenant will file a counterclaim, and if it's over $10,000, um, there have been some protests who think, oh, I can't make this decision because it's Superior Court. Yeah. Um, but you do have, there's a, a rule or a statute that says you can determine if it's a, a counterclaim that works in. It is reasonable. A reasonable Well, it, it has to be a, a counterclaim. <laughs> it has to go you, with the. You can only file a counterclaim for something that, that is a proper counterclaim in an eviction action. And what you will often get is a tort claim coming back as a counterclaim in an eviction action. My, my landlord didn't fix whatever, and it made me sick. It made my kids sick. You know, these are our medical bills. That's, that's a tort claim. That can't be a counterclaim as part uh, of an eviction action. So is um, improper notice for entering the apartment a proper um, counterclaim for? Yes. Okay. Yes. And that can get up to two months' rent. So yeah, that's abusive that's, access. That's by statute. That's fine. It's not going to get up per, per incident. incident. So you could have where over the term of the lease oh. they had done it however many times. And yeah, if they can okay. prove it. Okay. I, if I they had, can prove it, yeah. Yeah, I had one really absurd case where it was a 
self-represented uh, landlord and uh, these tenants, and the, they were trying to sell the house, and they introduced pictures to show how lousy the tenants were maintaining the house, and the tenants were like, well, who are these kids playing with my kids' toys? You know, they, oh, well, we took these pictures last week. I'm like, well, we were on vacation last week. We weren't even there. And so I said, well, you might want to file a counterclaim, you know, <laughs> a, alleging this. And then when I explained it, it was too much rent. They're like, you know, we can just walk away from this case. We don't really need it. You know, and I'm like, but yeah, I mean, the, there the landlord actually introduced evidence of abusive access. You don't see that often, but, but it is Well, that's possible. usually how you'll get it when they want to come and tell you how bad what the tenant did wrong. And then that's when they're... They themselves are showing that, how did you get this picture? Well, I had to go in for, you know, did you give them notice? No, well. And then sometimes as a judge, if you state these things that you're seeing, and then they'll just say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna look at this, and then they kind of make a settlement, or they'll stipulate to something. So, I mean, and the one thing, you know, this is just the one caveat that I will tell everyone, you would think that our landlord attorneys they are the ones who do the most trials of everyone in the court system, in, in justice courts, right? Um, because they're short trials, they're, but there's plenty of them. We, we do a lot of trials considering, and they are the least prepared to do trials. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are it, is, it is amazing to me the arguments that you will get from these attorneys. Just be aware. They will come and argue that anything that hearsay is admissible, how could you say that that's hearsay? Because it is. Um, it, 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 it's just like these, you know, ridiculous arguments. I had one where they, it was a noise complaint, and the, the second noise complaint was heard by their security guards, the security who patrols in the, at night. And so they submit the report from the security guard. And I'm like, well, this is hearsay. And they're like, no, because this is a business record. I'm like, whose business record? <laughs> well, they give it to my client because we hire them, and so they give it to my client. I'm like, but that's not your client's business record. It's the business record of the security company. They didn't come to testify. And it was just arguing over, I mean, not knowing what hearsay is. So just be aware of these things. It's very, it gets very frustrating because I think that sometimes even the attorneys don't know that it's not a hearsay because they will argue, they already make a, like a legal argument. They'll just, well, you don't know what you're talking about kind of argument. Well. I don't know. Well, you may not get you, that. I, I don't get that. You're not a woman. You're not a woman. Well, I, I was going to say something else. But um, the uh, noise complaints are hard because someone will try to introduce a video and there's no way you can listen to a video and tell how loud it is. Because you can you can control the volume, right? And, you know, so well, if you just listen to this, you can see it's so loud. Well, yeah, if you turn it up, it's loud. You know, if you turn it down, it's not loud. This doesn't really establish anything. So I I, I found noise issues hard. Well, but they're hard in general. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I'm just finding this whole they don't bring the correct witness. You know, they will still insist to this day on bringing me police reports on immediate. You know, and it's like, I mean, it's true that it's not always the same attorney. You know, the law firm will have six, seven attorneys, and so you'll get a different one maybe each time. Um, but just be aware of those things. And, and, and you know, they, they will say, 
you know, the judge allows it. All the other judges let me do this. And so, you know, just know that you'll get that pushback. I'm just always really... There's a couple of them who do. They do a lot of good work, and they, they give you the marked exhibits. and they. But I, I had one the other day. They had their witness over the phone. And, and so they were like, you know, the ledger. And they like, you know, Your Honor, can we admit number two? And I'm like, what is number two? The ledger. Well, I haven't heard anyone testify to it. Well, the witness said that they keep the ledger. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't show that the ledger that you're showing me is the one they're talking about. I mean, it's just those kinds of things that, that um, I mean, I, if I can, I don't let witnesses appear on the phone anymore because you can't show them things and you're, you don't know what they're looking at. You don't know what they're testifying to. They don't lay proper foundation. You got to be very careful. I didn't mean to disparage all those attorneys, but it's uh, <laughs> on the record. It's very well. It's very. It's frustrating. It's just very frustrating when we deal with this a lot. Well, I, I pe people are in high volume of courts, whether it's it, it's prosecutors or, or anybody else, um, often don't have adequate time to prepare. And if if you've ever volunteered for the high school mock trial team judging competition, and you go watch the high school kids. And they're phenomenal, and you go back to your own courtroom, and you're like, "Wow, these guys, these guys stink." The high school kids are better, you know. Um, and it, and and you forget that the high school kids have had one case for a semester, you know, and they know it really, really, really well. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and sometimes, shockingly, the, the the clients tell them something very different um, than what they testify to in court. So that, that's true too. That that can be an issue as well. Um, I don't know. Did Does anyone have any questions? Yeah. We've just been babbling. Yeah. I, I think landlord-tenant cases, eviction cases, are 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 some of the toughest things we do because these they're gut wrenching. Um, at, at the end of a long eviction day, you're physically exhausted. Uh, even though all you've done is sit there, um, you're, you're physically exhausted. These are people that have done nothing wrong. These are people that can't pay rent. 99% of the time, it's for reasons that are not their fault, you know, and I think everyone is a job loss plus a major medical bill away from not being able to pay their rent, or maybe just a job loss uh, away from not being able to pay their rent, and these are, these are hard, hard cases, and you're just like, yeah, sorry about your hardship, next, yeah, so, and you have to, you know, I don't want to say feign compassion, but these are people with, with real lives and real stories, and Everyone says, oh, it's only justice court. There's nothing you can do to somebody that will impact their life more than telling them they have to find a new place to live in five days. There's almost nothing. You can, we used to, when we used to take DUI seriously, <laughs> and we sent people to Tent City for 45 days, you know, we don't do that anymore. But, um, you know, you can recover from that, um, probably. You can't always recover. I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I don't know that the word is compassion. I think. Yeah. I think you want to come at least across as empathetic that you that you're not just counting them out you know uh, the, the, you'll see, you you guys won't probably we do see some tenants that same name comes over you know the, the tenant with the 15 cases probably back then when I did them I probably recognized that name every time it came up because you know you do them you get used to them but I mean, to me, it's frustrating. It's like all you needed to do was get a small loan, catch up, and then you're never behind, because they were always able to pay, you know, five days after the judgment, 
And so it's like you feel like sitting them down and saying, let me tell you how to deal with your finances, right? <laughs> um, but but these are, you know, it's like he's saying, these aren't people, they're not bad people. They're people who actually pay their rent, who they're just having a, you know, a hard time doing it in the way it is. And just to count them out and say, oh, I see your name all the time here. Oh, I, you know, that's not the way to deal with them. Um, I get a lot of people that are like, yeah, I know you don't want to hear this. And I was like, I will listen to whatever you want to tell me. You know, I understand that that's not a defense of the non-payment of rent, but, you know, please, you don't want to say, I don't care that your kid got sick, right? You just want to kind of show some. On the other hand, you don't want them to go on for 20 minutes. <laughs> because they do, if you let them, some of them will. And so, you, you know, you just kind of have to, I, I just think that the complaints that we get are because the judge didn't listen, the judge didn't care. And so you just want to make sure that they know that you're listening and that you care, even though you can't do anything about it. But it, it's true. Some of them are, some of them are, are, are difficulties. I mean, some of them are just, you know, I lost my job. The good thing nowadays is that at least people are saying, I got a new job. I'm going to get paid more. I just need a few more weeks to get on my feet. You know, back when I started, they lost their job and they could be six months without a job. And so that made it harder because you know that they weren't going to dig themselves out of the hole. Um, but um, there's there, there's some there's there's cases out there, you know, during COVID that people were getting fired because they got COVID. I was let go because I got COVID, and you're like, how can this be happening? <laughs> um, and still, people are getting COVID, right? Then I had to quarantine for two weeks away. <laughs> or if you were. Yeah, I, half, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it should be better, but. Anyone have any questions? Are you overwhelmed? <laughs> Are you scared? <laughs> Are you willing to drive to surprise? Show of hands. That anyone. should be. That should be. <laughs> Good. Well, you got through. That's that's good. We, um, you know, the, the the two highest volume courts used to be Manistee, which is out in Surprise, and Country Meadows, which is out in Avondale. We have switched the the jurisdiction lines a little, and I have fallen like down to six or something, which is it's 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 a welcome relief after eleven years of being number one. So uh, Manistee is still up there, though. Manistee has a lot of evictions. We have Moon Valley has a lot of evictions. Kyrene has a lot of evictions. And uh, who's the other court? And oh, and Encanto. Well, right? Encanto and I are just like right next and to And Arcadia. So, you know, maybe sit in on those courts. Um, I mean, my court, you can still come. I st even though I'm number six, I'm still busy. <laughs> um, but if you want to see courts that have more volume, because you might go to a court that that you know maybe they have a calendar of 10 15 cases when you come to my court and I'll have 80 and so you know if, if, if this is just a matter of listening to them and hearing them and doing them over and over again um, we do everything virtually so you can always just connect virtually to the courtroom and listen to the cases without That's having true. to come um, I mean coming you could see the paperwork and, and you could talk to us uh, but, you know, just if you want to get a feeling of, of how the high-volume court works, if you're training with a mentor that maybe doesn't have 
as many. Uh, I think you were all told the same thing about the the orders of protection. You know, some courts do very few of them, and so maybe you want to sit on a high volume court one day just to get the experience of more of those. Which is the only thing I'm not high volume on. <laughs> that's that's super hit and miss. I, I, I'm I'm on call on Tuesdays, and I don't know what it was about Martin Luther King Day weekend that made people want to come in. And it's go, a three-day weekend. Come in and get an order of protection well, yeah. on Tuesday. But, every every um, after a holiday, always. But after a holiday. Uh, historically, Super Bowl is a bad time. Every everyone who whoever has the Monday after the Super drinking. Bowl um, gets a lot of orders of protection. Um, <laughs> well, those are, that's the day you might want to sit in court and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Desert Ridge, right? Desert Ridge, or well, no, I, I, you guys, the surprise gets a lot of orders of protection. All the courts that have family courts in the building uh, are the ones uh, that get more. They get more than we do. We don't have family court. That's the one thing that we don't. But uh, we do lots of DUIs in my building, so it depends on what you want to hear. And you don't have to stick to just your mentor if you want, like she was saying. Go call other judges. You can um, ask to log on, right? If you don't want to travel around. If you don't want to travel, you can just log on into the courtroom. If they have virtual hearings, like all of my evictions, most people are virtual. They don't, you know, they don't attend in person. So you can log into my court. Right. But even on. my arraignments are, most people come in person, but we still, we st I still connect teams. Yeah. So you can still watch even if everyone else is in person. So um, you can still get the feeling of the court zone. Yeah, and then it's always nice to say that you're in there so that we don't just see a number. Or, or put your name on when you log in so we know who's, who's listening. So we're like, um, did we miss you? Who's this number? And then people will just hang up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know who was listening. Charles, anything you want to add? All right, let's, uh, we'll see you back at 1 o'clock. Right. Right. Thank you. What, um, what haram? Yeah, that's <laughs> you do sushi? Um, I can. You're not your favorite, apparently. Yeah. I've been waiting for them to open for 